Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices is prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using the phone or a similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing of cell phones can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please ensure your devices are silent. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For comments on matters that are not on the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2490-444-5304 and entering the meeting password, which is SFGOV. That's SFGOV or 73468 via dial-in. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email to environment at sfgov at, at environment at sfgov.org. Comments, <coughs> comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Ahn? Here. Vice President Stevenson? Here. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Wald? Here. And Commissioner Wan? Here. President on, we have a quorum. Excellent. Next item, please. The next item is item two, review on vote on whether to approve resolution file 2022-09-COE, resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code section 54953E. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is resolution file 2022-09-COE. This item is for discussion and action. The commission will discuss and consider adoption of a resolution making findings that government code section 54953E requires in order to allow the commission to hold meetings remotely as currently required under local law without complying with certain Brown Act requirements. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan. Is there a second? I second. A second from Commissioner Wald. Hearing no, uh, is there any further discussion, commissioners? Seeing none, uh, let's open this up for public comment then. We will begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment is concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And I'll pause for a quick moment while the access code and instructions are displayed on the screen.
And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Kyle, please call the roll. President Anand? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Yes. Commissioner Wan? Aye. And Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Motion passes then. Uh, next item, please. The next item is item three, President's welcome. This item is for discussion. Good evening, everyone. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytoshaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramaytoshaloni understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramaytoshaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Warep, Mother Earth, and we, as such, as the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. As environmentalists, we recognize we must embrace indigenous knowledge in how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during this important acknowledgement. And tonight's meeting, as you might have been observing in the news uh, lately, comes at a time of great environmental challenge. I mean, just over the last few years, we've seen everything from rising sea levels to wildfires to even more recently, as reported in the New York Times, a decreasing amount of fog in San Francisco, which is depressing by itself to think about that as much as a third of our fog has been lost since 1951, as reported by the New York Times, and that we can see now that climate change is hardly an abstraction for our communities in the city and county. So with these challenges, though, uh, comes uh, hopefully great opportunities as well, that we've seen the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, for instance, which authorized $369 billion toward climate and energy programs, represents the most aggressive federal response we've seen to date and can help us achieve the goals of San Francisco's Climate Action Plan. The IRA can be a real game changer, but only if we're fully prepared to be able to take advantage of its benefits, as we'll hear later on in today's agenda. And you know, for me personally, and my work as an advocate, it also represents real opportunities for clean energy and also building decarbonization, particularly in the affordable housing space, and looking forward to seeing how it can serve our communities throughout the city. We have a substantive agenda this evening. We'll hear a presentation from the Reusable SF Coalition on Reusable Foodware on-site policy for San Francisco. We'll also hear from findings from the UC Berkeley Center of, uh, for Law, Energy, and the Environment on long-term funding strategies for the Climate Action Plan. And we'll also have a few housekeeping items on the agenda, so thanks for your patience through that, including a vote on the Environment Department's record retention policy, a proposed revision to the Commission's process providing oversight of contracts and grants, and a potential update to the Commission bylaws. Now, uh, these may seem nitpicky, but they are very important to the operations of our general body, and we have a lot to get to, so let's get started then. With that, should we take public comment? We will begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. 
For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Great. And if there are no other uh, discussion or, uh, from other commissioners, let's move on to the next item, please. The next item is item four, approval of minutes of the September 27th, 2022 Commission on the Environment meeting. Explanatory document is the September 27th, 2022 meeting draft minutes. This item is for discussion and action. Any discussion or changes to the minutes? Uh, motion from Commissioner Hunter, second. Uh, second from Commissioner Wald. Uh, so we have a motion then ready. Uh, perhaps we should take public comment on it then, Kyle. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Please call the roll. President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. And Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Next item then. The next item is item five, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public, Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, thank you. Um, next item then. The next item is item six, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Sean Rosenmoss, Senior Environmental Specialist, 
This item is for discussion. And Commissioner Wald, I believe the floor is yours to introduce this item. Thank you. Uh, this tribute to uh, Sean is brought to you by Kyle and uh, Debbie and me. As uh, many of you know, I joined uh, the commission many years ago. There are not very many people at the department who have been there um, longer than I have. But Dawn Rosenmoss is one of those few. She joined the department on September 2nd, 2002. And since then, she's been the department's North Star, its heart and its soul. Sean has a huge heart and she wears it on her sleeve. She wears her convictions there too. You always know where Sean stands on things. Her enthusiasm is infectious. Her love of people and place is fierce and her commitment to solving problems is deep and unshakable. And she has a presence that fills the room immediately upon her entrance. If you've ever been in a meeting with Sean, you know what I mean when I say she has presence. During her 20 years at the department, Sean has dedicated herself to the environment in everything she has done, professional and personal from racial equity to community partnerships, from compost to EVs. No stone has been left unturned or crevice unexplored in Sean's quest to create a more just, equitable, and environmentally sustainable San Francisco. Throughout her time in the department, Sean has built bridges and formed trusting collaborative partnerships, often with unexpected allies. Many of these partnerships illustrate one of her most admired qualities, her low threshold for taking action. When she saw opportunities for partnerships between SFE and the arts or the faith or other communities, she often just jumped right in. She didn't wait for permission she threw herself into making connections, bridging perceived gaps, and bringing people together. Similarly, when the pandemic hit San Francisco, Sean was the first to think of making masks from fabric scraps long before the CDC or local officials thought that was a good thing. Of her many other specific contributions to the department, I wanna mention two that I always associate with her. First, year after year, Sean has been critical to raising the funds that have enabled the department to implement its cutting edge programming and to do the work that distinguishes it. From finding potential funding sources to writing or editing proposals, Sean has been there for her colleagues to succeed. Then I think of her in connection with the Earth Day breakfast, which so many San Franciscans uh, attended year after year. Sean was one of the masterminds behind those events, and she made sure that the funds raised were used to create the most inclusive events possible. And while those events showcased the work of the mayor other elected officials and the department, 
She made sure they were a lot of fun, too. Sean is not only very funny herself, but she understands the importance of fun and laughter for those who work so hard to make the city a green and equitable place to live. And she helped make sure those events were fun for the real heroes of the work, the small businesses and the environmental justice and the environmental organizations across San Francisco who work so hard on behalf of the city. Sean truly embodies all of the Environment Department's values, equity, collaboration, impact, innovation, credibility. She helped us chart our vision for where we need to go and brought an understanding of the finer details we need to get there. Sean has had a tremendous impact on the work of the department and the commission, and she has touched all our lives and the lives of so many San Franciscans who aren't even aware of what she's done. We are all very sad to see her go and we'll miss her terribly, but I know that she will continue to work with us to make the world a healthier, better, and more sustainable place. I'm honored to present Sean with the Environmental Service Award. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna try and hold it together. Um, so, yes, we have accomplished so much. Like, when I think about it, it's been extraordinary these last 20 years, and truly, we have accomplished so much. And so, I, I'm a word person. Grateful and honored don't even begin to describe my feelings about, you know, having been able to be part of this. And I have to say, so, you may not, I, I'm an engineer. Right? I'm an engineer, an artist, and an educator. And every day, I get to bring that stuff to the office. Right? And I, and I, you know, obviously I have whiny days, but more often than not, I have these days where I'd wake up and I'd go, who gets to do this? <laughs> and they pay me. <laughs> so um, I get to work with some of the funniest and most creative people in the world, as you all know, but I just want to say it publicly. And, and I've often thought, because I didn't mean to stay here for 20 years, but, but there's this word, this Yiddish word, beshert, right? It's meant to be. And so the, I, I just have days where it's just like meant to be, right? Paul Simon says that, hey, aren't we walking down the very same street at the very same time? Yeah, we are. What a coincidence. We get to work together. So um, I want to sort of close with, with a poem. Um, it's called Redemption by Natsamova, and it sort of reminds me of the department and excuse the biblical references. I know this is government and we have the separation, but I think you'll get it. The Israelites walked into the Reed Sea, one foot at a time. What were they thinking about as the water rose up their legs, chilling their hearts, advancing towards their open mouths? We continue to walk here, now, one foot at a time, on our better days, forward. Alone, I cannot reach the far shore without drowning. Somehow, I don't go under. The person on my right holds me up. Something I cannot see holds him up. We step forward. The sea is vast. 
So we are what we've got, and that's what the department does. We hold each other up, we lift each other up, we raise each other up. Sometimes we have to drag people along, but we're not gonna let anyone go, they're coming with us. And we know that because the sea is vast and the challenge is immense, we're gonna have to keep doing that. We're gonna just have to keep holding each other up because we're what we've got. You know, and so in my 20 years in the department, you know, the number of people coming through this department, the number of gifted admin staff and 99s and managers and associates and fellows and teenagers from the mayor's program, you know, on my right, on my right, on your right, on their right, on her right, this chain of individuals and brilliant people has grown so vastly, I can't even see the ends in either direction. And I am part of that. And I will always get to be a link in this monumental Red Rover chain of human beings. And there's just something, I just wish that for everyone in the world, which means we have to start talking to a lot more people and roping them in and holding them up. Um, and so if I haven't said this enough, and I probably haven't, thank you for allowing me to be part of this. Thank you for allowing me to be part of this. Commissioners and Jared Blumenfeld and Debbie Raffel and Ty. This has been amazing. And yes, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here because it's way too much fun. It's way too much of a joyful experience. And we must have that because the situation is grim, but it's not hopeless. And we've got this Red Rover chain. And I dare any climate denying whatever to try and break through our Red Rover chain. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Sean. Uh, is there uh, additional discussion? First of all, we'll take it from commissioners and maybe to staff who would like to speak. But any commissioners who wanted to chime in by chance? Yes, Vice President Stevenson, please. Um, I don't want to say too much because I feel like the words that were spoken were so beautiful, but I just want to say thank you because I know that the work that you did was massive, and I, especially sitting on the operations committee for as long as I did and seeing the work that you did to bring the revenue in, like things got done because of you. So thank you. And I will say in addition to that, I've always appreciated how you distributed across the city as well, across different communities and had an eye toward equity, which is always a near, dear principle to my own heart. Thank you. So that said, maybe to staff, if and, are, and I'll just uh, add, just thank you, Sean. I'm not going to repeat anything uh, that Commissioner Wald said, but you know, even over the past few months, I've gotten to work and, and really enjoy working closely with you. We've had conversations uh, about like, you know, what does the future hold for for this position? And I can see the worry in your face, and it's the worry in all of our faces about who's going to replace Sean. What's that going to look like? And the fact is, you're, you're not replaceable in that sense. You have done so much for this department, this city. Your love for the work that you do and the people that you work with has shown, not only in your work, but the fact that you've been in the same place for 20 years. I mean, 20 years. How many of us can say that we stood in one place and worked in one place for 20 years? And that shows the character of your commitment to the people 
to this department, to the city, to the planet, and to everything that you have touched during that time. So just thank you and congratulations. <coughs> Okay. Any other takers uh, to speak right now? If not, I believe. Oh, there is someone standing up. Yes, please come on up. Uh, good evening, Commissioners and um, Director Ju and members of the public and fellow colleagues. I'm Luo Chu, the Energy Program Manager. Um, Sean, congratulations on receiving this Environmental Service Award. And on behalf of the energy team, I wish to express our gratitude for all the support, guidance, and love you've shown us through the years. We've worked on many interesting, bold, innovative grants, everything from the virtual power plant to the sewer waste heat recapture system, we affectionately call it the poop machine. <laughs> through it all, Sean, you've exemplified our values, brought in millions of dollars, always focused on innovation, equity, your work, your legacy has truly advanced climate protection and enhances the quality of life for all of San Franciscans, which is our mission statement. Thank you, Sean. Is there anyone remotely who wanted to speak as well, Clive? I believe there is, Commissioner, just one moment. All right. Hello, Alexa and Sharda, you are unmuted, you are panelists. Please feel free to speak. Thanks, Kyle. Um, my name's Shraddha Mehta, I'm the Senior Environmental Justice Coordinator, and I wanted to be there in person today, but I am homesick, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to share a few remarks about Sean. I have had the pleasure of working with Sean for over two decades now, and Sean is one of those people who is knowledgeable about so many things that she's often my go-to person when I have a question. What I love most about Sean, though, is that she cares deeply about people and about valuing relationships, including those with community members. Coming from the nonprofit sector, Sean has shifted the department away from the traditional government way of doing engagement where we typically are trying to extract information from folks without providing anything in return towards an approach where we recognize and support the longtime work of community-based organizations and leaders. And she's taught us that true partnerships go two ways. In fact, many times when I've asked Sean if she knows um, a community leader, she'll say, yes, so-and-so is a dear friend of mine. She seems to know everyone, and she's invested time and energy into building those relationships, even on a personal level. And so I don't think that there's a single job description that can capture Sean's role in the department, but I'm hopeful that we can at least take what we've learned from Sean and continue to do better. So thank you, Sean, and happy retirement to a dear friend of mine. Anyone else in the remote queue? 
Hi, I'd like to say a few words. Um, Alexa Kelty, I'm the Residential Zero Waste Coordinator, Department of Environment. Um, and I just wanted to share with everybody, and it was touched on and mentioned, but um, Sean's huge impact she's had on this department has been profound over the last 20 years. Um, I don't know if folks know, but she has raised like literally like tens of millions of dollars, perhaps even a hundred million dollars or more of uh, grant funding to do all of our amazing work. Um, I mean, in the last less than five years, uh, she's I've worked with her to, to get uh, funding for the edible food recovery program uh, through Cal Recycle. And she is a genius at taking our technical mumbo jumbo and putting it into terms that is presentable and can receive funding from state and federal agencies. So she's worked with energy team extensively, environmental justice, um, the climate team, zero waste. And we're so deeply grateful for all of the work um, that you've put in long hours, late nights, um, getting those proposals out. And I was even doing some quick math. And I mean, the impact is probably thousands and thousands of tons of greenhouse gas equivalent. So thank you. The earth thanks you for your impact. And also, I just wanted to um, thank you for your humor, your levity. Um, you're just such a joy and such a dear friend. And I thank you for your presence. And, and really, part of your energy is what's kept me with the department for so long as well. So um, thank you for all that you do. And I hope you don't go far. If that's it, then maybe we'll open up a formal public comment on this item. We will begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right. This might be my favorite part, which is a portrait with Sean. So we'll go up against the wall. That sounds good.
Thanks again, Sean. We'll be seeing you around soon enough. You better. Next item, please, Kyle. Right, the next item is item seven, staff introductions. The speaker is Tyrone Jew, acting director. This item is for discussion. And quickly, commissioners, just a reminder to please speak into the mic uh, clearly. Thank you. All right, as bittersweet as it was to say farewell to Sean, uh, we also, over this fall, welcomed a number of new employees into the department, our next generation of environmental leaders. Uh, so this is the fun part of the agenda where we get to introduce all of them. So what I'm gonna do is uh, we have a whole host of uh, our team members here in person, we, and we have two remote. So I'm gonna call everyone's name out. If you can start making your way up to the podium, uh, and then you can introduce yourself. So we have Eric Passwalk, our Construction Demolition Zero Waste Coordinator, Anna Shiruto with our Clean Transportation Coordinator, Joseph Piazeki, our Public Relations and Policy Coordinator, Nicole Inaba, Construction and Demolition Zero Waste Associate, Sylvan Ludwig, Climate Change Program Assistant Coordinator, Joyce Olorosisimo Arpon, Climate Change Assistant Coordinator for Existing Buildings, and we have Elise McLean, our Building Decarbonization Associate. Hello, thank you everybody. Eric Passwalk, uh, the Construction and Demolition Zero Waste Coordinator. I'm tasked with uh, implementation, uh, outreach, and enforcement of our C&D ordinance. Um, born and raised in Santa Cruz, grew up in the East Bay, and have been circling San Francisco my whole life, and love the city very much. So thank you for having me. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Anna Sherudo. I'm joining the department as a clean transportation coordinator on the energy team. So I'm tasked with implementing the EV roadmap. Prior to this, I was a policy manager at a nonprofit called the Bay Area Council, where I oversaw policies regarding climate change and energy in the Bay Area. So thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to working with you. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Joseph Piasecki. I am the Policy and Public Relations Coordinator in the Policy Shop, uh, reporting to Charles. Uh, I've come to this position by way of the Chicagoland area as a public policy professional for over 10 years, uh, spending time in the Illinois General Assembly and the Director of Government Relations for a University. Um, I'm thrilled to be in the Bay Area and working in the Policy Shop and looking forward to implementing the uh, Climate Action Plan priorities. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nicole Inaba. I'm the CND Zero Waste Associate. And uh, right now I'm in charge of looking over construction waste management plans to ensure compliance with our um, Chapter 14 Construction Demolition Debris Recovery Ordinance. And um, uh, before that, I was a Climate Corps Fellow with the CND team. And so I'm continuing my work with the team. And yes, thank you for having me here. And yes, thank you. Um, good evening, commissioners. My name is Sylvan Ludovig. I am the Cli Climate Program Assistant Coordinator, and so I, I will be tasked with implementing <laughs> and conducting outreach for our 2021 Climate Action Plan. I'm very excited to work on that. Um, and prior to this, I worked in the sustainability offices at UCSF Health and Stanford Healthcare. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Joyce Oloresisimo Arpon. I am the assistant coordinator for existing buildings, I'm tasked to support the existing buildings ordinance for benchmarking and energy audit. 
I um, come from the private sector. I was a project manager for Target Open House when we launched our zero waste store. And I'm happy to be here and um, happy to work with all of you, hopefully in the future. Thank you. Hi everybody, my name is Elise McLean and I am joining the department as a building decarbonization associate. Um, I will be working on a wide variety of projects, but for the next year, my main focus is producing a comprehensive inventory of all natural gas equipment in municipal buildings. And I'm really excited to be joining the team. Thank you. All right, and we have uh, one person who's remote, uh, Bianca Lorena, who is our contract and grants coordinator. Bianca. Hi, everyone. My name is Bianca Lorena. I'm, I've joined the department as an administrative analyst. Um, I've had my experiences as a business analyst for pg e solar energy customers and also doing the contract and program management of energy efficiency programs. Now I'm working on the environment department's contracts and grants processes, and everyone's been very kind and welcoming. I'm excited to work with everyone. Thank you, and I'm glad to meet everyone. And commissioners, those are your new hires and employees for our department. So let's give them a round of applause. Very exciting. Any further discussion from other commissioners? If not, uh, let's move to public comment on this item then. Comment. We will begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment is concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, thanks Kyle. And welcome again to the new staffers. Very much looking forward to seeing you, hopefully at a future party, if not a holiday party. Uh, next item, please, Kyle. The next item is item eight, presentation on reusable foodware on-site policy. The sponsor is Eddie Ahn, commission president. The speakers are Grace Lee, Rethink Disposable Program Manager, Clean Water Action, Eva Holman, board member, Plastic Free Restaurants, and Miriam Gordon, Reuse Consultant. This item is for discussion. So it's my great pleasure to introduce you know, the Reusable SF Coalition uh, since its formation in 2018. They've been a strong advocate for a reusable foodware policy in San Francisco, one akin to the ordinance that recently passed in Berkeley. The coalition includes Mothers Out Front, Center for Environmental Health, Rethink Disposable, Surfrider, SF New Deal, Plastic Free Future, Plastic Free Restaurants, Upstream, the Sierra Club, Climate Emergency Coalition, California's Against Waste, and additional NGOs and reuse advocates. And the use of reusable foodware for on-site diners helps reduce waste and saves restaurants money. The average business that transitions from on-site disposables towards reusables saves 3,000 to 22,000 a year and eliminates 1,300 to 2,200 pounds of waste by itself. 
The transition from reliance on disposable paper, plastic, and bioplastic cups toward reusables will have a real impact. And one re recent report even found out that the carbon footprint of disposables is, is somewhere between three to ten times greater than that of reusable ceramic, stainless steel, and glass items. And the phasing out of single-use materials will, of course, also help San Francisco achieve its goals under the Climate Action Plan, including a 40% reduction in consumption-based emissions by 2030 and an 80% reduction in consumption-based emissions by 2050. And just on a closing note, I think this is a long overdue discussion that unfortunately was postponed because of the pandemic. And I'm hoping that we can continue to move this ball forward and very much thank the coalition's efforts in presenting this item today. And with that, I'll hand things off. Well, thank you for that really warm and wonderful uh, introduction. It's been a, a pleasure working with you on this um, throughout the years. Um, I'm Eva Holman. I'm a, a she, he pronouns and the co-facilitator of Reusable SF. And also presenting today is Miriam Gordon. She, her pronouns are reuse consultant. And Maria Morataya Maez will be stepping in for Grace, who had um, an unfortunate uh, family matter to attend to. And Maria uses they, them, theirs pronouns, and she's with they are with Rethink Disposable, and Kelly Garrity with the Department of the Environment. And Reusable SF is a coalition of NGOs, as mentioned, reuse businesses, and concerned citizens who have been working together to reduce single-use foodware to safeguard the health and environment of all San Franciscans since 2018. And we are here this evening to ask you to please champion a reusable foodware policy in 2023. I'm going to pass it on to Miriam now. I'm sorry, oops. <laughs> there should be a second slide here with microplastics. Thank you. So some of you already have heard about this a report that came out in 2019. San Francisco, San Francisco has many environmental challenges to face. A 2019 study by SFEI and Five Gyres found that the San Francisco Bay is seven times more polluted by microplastics than any other body of water that's been tested so far. Um, they came up with two science-informed solutions to reduce microplastics in our waterways, and their leading solution was to implement policies to reduce single-use plastics and packaging, and they cited the Berkeley Ordinance, which was mentioned a little earlier, which mandates reusable foodware on-site. This is not just an ocean pollution concern. Reusable SF partnered on a neighborhood cleanup with Calle 24 and collected 218 items in a one block radius around Garfield Square and 24th Street. Out of those 218 items, 191 of the items were food and beverage packaging. Historically, in neighborhood cleanups, food and beverage packaging is on the top 10 most common items found. Single-use food packaging impacts the health of our bay and wildlife, but also impacts communities and neighborhoods. Limiting disposable foodware and promoting reuse benefits all. And now I'll introduce Miriam. These kinds of products that we use in a matter of minutes are not a sustainable form of consumption. We can't ensure an, a good quality of life for 8 billion people on the planet and growing with this one-way throwaway model. Next slide. Disposable products harm the planet uh, through every environmental impact measure, from the depletion of natural resources and their degradation, to the pollution of our air and water, to climate change, 
and all the waste that we are now swimming in. The throwaway economy is a system in which 15% of wood harvested, 22% of aluminum mined, 40% of plastic produced, and 50% of glass goes into the manufacture of single-use packaging. This system treats our planet's resources as disposable. Next slide. And it also often treats people as disposable as well because the impacts of disposability disproportionately burden communities of color and low-income communities who live on the fence line of the uh, polluting and health-harming extraction, manufacturing, and disposal industries. Next slide. That's why it's important to stop making all this single-use stuff. From a policy perspective, it's time to Prior, stop prioritizing how we manage the waste once it's created and begin to prioritize preventing it from being created in the first place. And what that means is we need to focus on reducing single use and transitioning to reusables. Next slide. The policy that we are proposing for your support would make it so that when you sit down at a food service establishment, you are always served with real plates, cups, and utensils, even at fast food chains like McDonald's, like they currently do at McCafes all across Europe. Next slide. In 2021, when I was the policy director at Upstream, a national NGO that focuses on reuse, I authored a report that looked at all the current life cycle analyses of food service packaging comparing disposable to reusable. Now, life cycle analysis looks at a product's impact from cradle to grave, and it's currently the best form of measurement of environmental impact that we have. And the primary conclusion of those analyses in that report is that reuse wins over disposables by every environmental measure. Next slide. Primarily, it's better for the climate. And I think Eddie touched on this. Um, the, uh, for cups, for example, disposable paper, plastic, and bio cups uh, have a three, three to 10 times higher greenhouse gas emissions footprint than reusable uh, ceramic, stainless steel, and glass cups. Next slide. And also from a water consumption perspective, using 500 paper cups consumes nearly 370 gallons of water. Whereas if you replace that with one ceramic cup and used it 500 times, you would only consume 53 gallons of water. Next slide. Um, so LCAs look at a wide array of environmental impacts, but they do not look at how toxic chemicals impact human health. And this is another area of concern with disposable foodware. Disposable food, food packaging um, over 12,000 chemicals are used in food packaging and food contact materials. Many of them have been shown to migrate into the food and beverages that we eat and consume, and many can cause cancer, endocrine disruption, chronic illness, and other chronic disease and other illnesses. 
Sadly, due to poor regulations, only about a quarter of them have ever been tested for safe human exposure. And there's no transparency about what's in the packaging um, due to trade secrets. But there is general scientific consensus that disposable packaging is often toxic and that reusables are generally safer. Now I'm gonna turn it over to Maria, who's gonna talk about the impacts of disposables and reuse on our local business economy. Well, first of all, thank you for the land acknowledgement that you gave. Um, as a mixed indigenous person, I felt a great deal listening to you doing due diligence and the storytelling that you shared. Um, so Rethink Disposable has worked with hundreds of restaurants throughout Ohlone Lands, the Bay Area, to switch from reusables to switch from disposables to reusables. Um, from these collaborations, Rethink has cultivated an expertise in economic and waste benefits to businesses. Many people feel that switching to reusables can pose an economic hardship. In fact, many of the business participants we've worked with felt the same way. However, what they found is that by switching to reusables, they can save between $3,000 and $22,000 a year, as you said earlier. And we invite our business participants to dedicate these savings in augmenting the wages for their least paid workers. From uh, switching to reusables, they're also eliminate, able to eliminate or really bypass um, dealing with 1,600 to 2,200 pounds of waste each year, as well as eliminate the need to buy, store, and dispose of um, uh, all of the, the packaging items. Um, to dive, uh, next slide, please. To dive deeper, we come to the House of Dim Sum in Chinatown. Customers were eating off of entirely uh, single-use disposable items, cups, plates, bowls, chopsticks. From collaborating with the House of Dim Sum and learning their needs and visions for future prosperity, we were able to identify reusable foodware and purchase all of the reusable counterparts using a community pass-through fund. And for anybody listening in, a brief image description of the items show dim sum, egg rolls, soup, um, tea, all in single-use disposable items on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, each of those food items and beverage items are served on reusable cups uh, with reusable silverware, reusable chopsticks, uh, reusable plates, and reusable bowls. From this collaboration and the budget, the House of Dim Sum invested $429 to transition entirely to reusables. From that $429 investment, a one-time $429 investment, they are now saving over $33,000 each year. They're also bypassing 7.2 tons of waste, which is the equivalent to a, the weight of a San Francisco cable car. Next slide, please. Again, from switching from single-use disposables to reusables, the House of Dim Sum is bypassing 7.2 tons of single-use disposables every year, the equivalent of a San Francisco cable car. With that, I will give the floor to Kelly. 
Many businesses moved to disposables during the COVID-19 pandemic due to concerns around surface transmission. To combat this, last October, SF Environment partnered with Upstream and the Golden Gate Restaurant Association on an educational campaign called Reuse Wins in SF. We hosted a live stream event with panelists and created a website full of educational materials and local resources to promote the safety of reusables as well as the financial and environmental benefits to the food service industry. Additionally, we expanded our partnership with Rethink Disposables citywide. The Rethink Disposable team trained our Environment Now outreach team to help businesses transition their operations to reusables. The Environment Now outreach team has been conducting door-to-door -door recruitment, providing multilingual technical assistance, three to $600 worth of grants to, per business, and helping businesses purchase reusables and set them up on site. Through the program, we've successfully transitioned 80 businesses away from disposables toward reusables. Of those 80 businesses, majority were small mom and pop shops, and 80% were identified as BIPOC owned or LGBTQ plus owned. Last year, we spent 150K on this project. Next slide. This year, we've budgeted over 100K to continue to provide technical assistance and funding to assist the small business community. In addition, we're currently working to recruit two larger institutions as well. Part of this year's project includes surveying the 80 businesses that we've previously recruited into the program. Thus far, we've surveyed 43 of those businesses, Not, and we've received really positive findings. 90% of the businesses are utilizing the purchase reusables from the program and plan to continue to use reusables in the future. Some of their reasonings for sticking with reuse are reduction of waste, cost savings, customer satisfaction, and not having to worry about which reusables to purchase. Disposables, thank you. Uh, next slide. <laughs> um, additionally, uh, from the survey, over three quarters of the surveyed businesses stated that they would support a policy requiring reusables for on-site dining. Next slide. Overall, the commercial reuse program has been a huge success and we've seen it impact businesses and the environment positively. Business owners are already seeing the benefits of implementing reusables through lowered monthly bills and reduction of waste. <coughs> Moving forward, SF Environment plans to continue to fund this program and devote staff hours to small business assistance. We see reuse as the future and as the solution. San Francisco has been a leader of groundbreaking successful foodware reduction policies over the last 15 years. And in order to meet our citywide zero waste targets of reducing waste generation of solid waste 15% and reducing disposal 50% by 2030, we need policies that eliminate single-use food packaging at the source. In addition, a policy would also support our responsible production and consumption strategies outlined in our 2021 Climate Action Plan that state, reduce use of non-reusable foodware by requiring, incentivizing, supporting, and or promoting reusables for on and off-site dining by 2023. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. That was wonderful. Um, and I'm just going to close it with our, our last slide here and just say thank you so much for all of your time today, not just today. To many of you, this has been an ongoing project, and your support has been really amazing and wonderful to have. Um, we'd like to close by asking you to consider uh, drafting a proclamation asking the Board of Supervisors to prioritize a foodware, reusable foodware ordinance in San Francisco in 2023. Uh, we would certainly not be for the first city to do so. There are already 14 jurisdictions who have adopted reuse policies, and San Francisco will certainly not be the last, but we're looking forward to working on this in the new year. And thank you, and we look forward to your questions. Thank you, Eva. Uh, are there questions right now? Commissioner Hunter? Uh, great presentation. This is one of my favorite projects by the department as well, so I'm excited uh, to continue the discussion. Personally, I have no questions for the panelists, rather for uh, the other commission members. I feel fairly strongly that we should definitely put forth a resolution uh, encouraging the Board of Supervisors and or mayor to draft an ordinance that would mandate on-site reusables. In the past, we've previously asked a specific uh, person who's not on a subcommittee to take up drafting that pen. But prior to making that motion, would be interested to hear discussion from other commissioners on how they feel about um, a resolution around on-site reusable. And generally, um, is Charles Sheehan here? Uh, yes, hi Charles. As a matter of process, how would you suggest we proceed to? Um, so Charles Sheehan, Policy and Public Affairs for the department. So there's no um, action item listed for this particular agenda item. And so what I would recommend is you can have a discussion and talk about what you might want to do um, at a future commission meeting. You can't vote on it. But it is the chair's prerogative to schedule things for a future commission meeting. And so if there is a uh, desire to see a resolution, um, the chair can schedule that for a future commission meeting. You just can't vote on it to make it happen. But again, he has that flexibility with uh, his prerogative for scheduling. Um, before we discuss maybe procedure then, we'll, we'll discuss the substance because I do think that's also very valuable. Are there strong opinions on this from other commissioners right now? I'm strongly for it. All right, Commissioner Wald is strongly for it. I'm surprised we aren't a leader in this like we are in most other things relating to the environment. So I'm also a thumbs up. What I would suggest as a matter of process maybe is then, I personally believe in this as well. If there's, uh, we're, I know we're not taking a formal vote or anything on this as an item today, but perhaps it would be best work through uh, a committee. Uh, the policy committee is what I'm thinking as a draft. And then um, I, as I recall from two or three years ago when this was also considered too, is making sure there's a collaboration among staff, the commissioners and the advocates on this issue, including of course the reusable coalition. And then one thing maybe to note is the small business commission, as I remember, is probably a point of contention on this policy. I believe we have a lot of collaboration to do uh, around their issues, but yes, uh, Eva, did you want to? I would just like to note that the previous version of this did include a charge on single-use cups mm -hmm. and to-go wear, and that was where the majority of the the small business commission's concerns were. 
and I think that would be very valuable to work out uh, both in staff direct, um, staff interactions amongst Department of Environment staff and small business department staff, as well as the committee system. And then, yeah, I, I would anticipate this can move quickly through our commission at the end of the day as well. But I, are there other thoughts? Just a quick clarifying question. So will this on-site dining uh, policy including the charges on the cups and containers? It won't, right? Oh, would that include any cup charges and also container charges on this new policy or this revised policy? And we have a head shake right now from, oh, yes, I um, see another. In our current proposal, no, we have taken out the cup and container charges. Thank you. Uh, uh, Commissioner Hunter, did you want to chime in? I was just going to say, yeah. great. I love it when things move quickly through a uh, commission process. Uh, seeing as there's no vote on this item, though, I'll defer to the policy committee. Sounds good. You can maybe come. I will definitely watch, but uh, don't want to have too many of us show up at a subcommittee meeting. <laughs> if there's no further discussion from commissioners, maybe we should move on to public comment then on this item. Thank you, President Anand. We will begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Hello, my name is Ben Schleifer. I'm with the Center for Environmental Health. I work with K through 12 schools to move them to reusables. In particular, I've worked with uh, schools in Emeryville, Berkeley, Oakland, Fremont's on the uh, commitment to do so, uh, Walnut Creek as well. One of the things that makes it really easy to get schools to move to reusables are these uh, reusable policy ordinances at the city level. Uh, San Francisco Unified has about 50,000 students enrolled. If half of them are eating uh, school lunches, that is uh, 4.5 million single-use items if they're just using one single-use item at that school. And it's usually more like four to five items per, per lunch. This is teaching students that it is okay to use something once and then throw it away after 20 minutes with never thinking about it again. And if we really want to tackle this single-use plastic problem, we, we should be teaching our students and youth better than what we are currently doing. And so if we were to get this policy on the books, this would help SFUSD move over to a more reusable system, which would benefit not only the environment, but also kind of the values of the students, teaching them that disposables is not a sustainable answer. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Are there any additional com commenters in the room? Hello again. Uh, I'm speaking as myself, Maria Morataya Mayes. Um, they, them, without my affiliation through Clean Water Action. Um, I would just like to urge the commission to weave in and to ensure that you're weaving in labor equity um, to any policy moving forward. I came to this role as the grandchild of a dishwasher. Um, he worked at Disneyland for 20 years washing dishes and needed to get surgery on his fingers. Um, to this day, he has steel rods implanted and he can't bend them due to the intensity of the labor. And so I ask all of you, all of us, to consider those making reusables possible, being the dishwashers, being bussers. And if we're asking restaurants, 
restaurants to transition from 100% disposables to 100% reusables, the dishwashers and the busters are going to be the ones making that possible and the ones feeling the impact more, most greatly. So I would suggest working with day labor networks or migrant worker community organizations to ensure self-determination in these decision-making spaces of how policy will um, maintain equity for the labor force in the reusables movement. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any additional commenters in the room? Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And we do have several callers in the queue. Hello, caller, you're on mute. Your three minutes begin now. Hi, my name is Susan Green. I live in Noe Valley, and I'm a member of the San Francisco Climate Emergency Coalition. Um, thanks so much for giving me an opportunity to comment on this, this topic this evening. Um, on a personal level, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to bring reusable food and drink containers to San Francisco establishments so that I can avoid contributing to the huge global problems we have with plastic waste. But more importantly, I'd like to see the city meet its climate action plan goals and do so by the target dates set out in the plan. Specifically, in this case, the plan's goals related to responsible production and consumption. Uh, the relevant section of the plan um, for this matter defines success as, quote, reducing use of non-reusable foodware by requiring, incentivizing, supporting, and or promoting reusables for on and off-site dining unquote, and it sets a target of 2023 for doing so. That's pretty soon. <laughs> to help meet that very near-term target, um, I just urge you all to uh, move as quickly as possible to schedule the necessary meetings and pass a resolution urging the adoption of a reasonable foodware policy for San Francisco. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comment. Hello, caller. You're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Um, hi, my name is Josh Schwartzman. I live in Nopa. Um, I just want to say that I support this policy for a lot of reasons, uh, but I think more than anything, um, you know, I love going around to different restaurants and, and businesses and supporting them in San Francisco. Um, it's not great to see when uh, kind of restaurants in person have kind of large trash bins filled with disposable um, items, things like coffee shops and, you know, uh, disposable coffee cups, 
in the store, um, pizza places, giving out paper plates when people are eating inside. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to have businesses have reusable uh, things to serve on and drink out of when they're in the store. Um, uh, you know, generally just support as much uh, waste as we can reduce in the city as possible. Um, you know, there's so much trash we see on the streets, and um, though I know there's a lot of folks doing a lot of work to prevent that, I think this is one step further uh, that would help that out a lot. So, thank you. Thank you for your comment. Hello, caller. You're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hello, caller. You're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, this is Melissa. I'm a Bernal Heights resident, and I just want to say that I'm very excited about this possibility. And um, I think that when we go to restaurants in the most like innovative tech forward area, we want to see sustainability being practiced throughout um, our area, and I think it's important to push this forward. I think most people seem very on board with this. Um, like the other caller said, I think trash in our streets is going to disproportionately affect the unhoused. And so the more that we can do to um, push this initiative forward, the better. So thank you so much for bringing this forward. Thank you for your comment. We may have one additional caller in the queue. Hello, caller. You are unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. And this may be a caller that we already heard. I believe this was a caller we heard previously. See no additional yeah, callers in the queue. Correct. See no additional callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. And again, thank you to the Reusable SF Coalition for presenting today. We look forward to working with you as we move this policy forward in committee. With that said, uh, if seeing there's no other discussion from commissioners, next item, please, Kyle. The next item is item nine, presentation on long-term funding for the Climate Action Plan. The sponsor is Ty Brown Chu, acting director. The speaker is Cindy Comerford, climate program manager. Explanatory documents are the funding San Francisco Climate Action Plan executive summary and report. This item is for discussion. 
commissioners, this meeting has been long overdue. Uh, there's been a lot of work put into this project. And so as Cindy is getting ready, I will uh, introduce her and the work. So as President Ahn mentioned in his opening remarks, uh, we're gonna hear about the uh, study that the Environment Department commissioned uh, over the past several months. This study was funded through an ad back from the Board of Supervisors two budget cycles ago. And what it did uh, and what the study was intended to do was to look at you know, the climate action plan that was passed and adopted in 2021 and to look at funding strategies and long-term funding strategies for how do we fund that program. Uh, this is really innovative and groundbreaking work. Most, most uh, cities stop at the goal setting, which is you know, we have a carbon neutral goal of name and pick your year. What we've done is take this one step further in order to engage in the really important conversation of what are the funding needs in order to actually implement uh, those goals. And so we have Cindy here to go over uh, the work that was done over the past several months. It's been a lot of work and Cindy's gonna cover that. Cindy. Good evening, commissioners. Again, my name is Cindy Comerford. I'm the climate program manager and I'm happy to prevent, uh, present an update on our long-term funding study. Um, so I'm gonna skip the introduction and go to the first slide. And so uh, we were able to contract with UC Berkeley Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment. And I'm gonna refer to them by their acronym for the rest of the presentation, which is CLE. And they developed a report funding San Francisco climate action strategies for revenue implementation and equity. So today my presentation is gonna focus on the report the process for developing it, some of the key highlights, and the associated activities. Next slide. So this slide shows the process for developing the funding study. Um, I just wanna note it's not to scale, but it is in sequential order. And although it shows some of the more mundane steps, I think it's just important that this whole process has been about a 17 to 18 months process. It started um, with the Board of Supervisors first giving us a uh, million dollars in ad back money, and a portion of that was allocated to this long-term funding study. We issued two RFPs. One was for the technical analysis that went to CLE, and then the second RFP went to Civic Makers, and they've been helping us with stakeholder engagement around the report. And so CLE started off this project um, by conducting over 50 stakeholder interviews, and they hosted two stakeholder convenings um, with experts around the state, local city departments, community-based organizations, um, to get feedback on some of the most promising mechanisms for funding and implementing the CAP. And so um, within the draft report, we'll go over those. And then secondly, I mentioned we also contracted with uh, civic makers, and with Civic Makers, we have formed um, a set of advisory groups to get feedback on those top recommendations. Um, we have an advisory group that's with real estate and construction, business, and healthy ecosystem. We've conducted six meetings, and this week we'll be conducting our final round of those advisory group meetings, and we'll have a report that's finished in January. Um, so CLE, issued their final report on November 16th. And um, this report is really the first step in a broader public engagement and refinement process, which is intended to guide our department and city leaders as we implement the Climate Action Plan. 
the next slide. So first I'm gonna re review the findings within the CLE report. The report is divided into multiple sections. So it looks at near-term measures, medium-term measures, and then it also looks at implementation and equity recommendations. <coughs> and before I kind of jump into those recommendations, the report also had some background material. And within the preamble of the report, it stated that the cost to implement our climate action plan would be up to $21 um, billion. And these estimates were really for scoping purposes and could be much higher with very capital intensive projects such as public transportation. And while this is a high cost, it is really consistent with the work we need to do and what's necessary to avoid the worst impacts from climate change. So the near-term measures that I'm gonna talk about were really meant to jumpstart the implementation on the cap and focus on some of our priority sectors. So building decarbonization, green spaces, and housing. And these early actions are, the revenue measures are focused on two things, bonds and taxes. So I'm gonna jump into the, the first one so the first mechanism is a general obligation bond, and it's also referred to as a geo bond or a go bond. And so a little bit of a background on geo bonds. They're issued by municipalities um, that they will be able to repay their debt through taxation. So it's one way for government to borrow money on future collateral of taxation. And within San Francisco, it's repaid through property taxes. And so GO bonds are typically used to finance or acquire or improve uh, real property. So we usually see GEO bonds for hospitals, parks, public safety facilities, affordable housing, and also educational facilities. And so the CLE report takes a little bit of a different and unique twist, and it recommends um, for um, kind of the housing sector two GEO bonds. So one is for building decarbonization. And the amount of the GEO bond recommendation is uh, 300 to 500 million. And part of that would go to retrofitting existing housing in San Francisco for electrical retrofits to decarbonize the housing stock. It would focus on low income to middle income housing. And it would also um, have a focus on multifamily housing. Along with the, the money to decarbonize the housing stock, it also has a component that adds um, workforce development to make sure we can decarbonize the housing stock and also a recommendation for a green bank. And the green bank would be used to decarbonize, to attract capital for decarbonization investments um, and also can incorporate some of the seed funding that will be available through the Inflation Reduction Act. The second recommendation around the geo bond is for affordable housing. So in 2024, there is expected to be an affordable housing bond. And so the recommendation is to add $100 million to that geo bond to increase affordable housing and then also add a component that would retrofit existing affordable housing. And geo bonds are kind of the um, funding mechanism that the city has a, the most control over. So I'm gonna spend a little bit of time just talking about what that process is for um, getting a geo bond on the ballot. 
Next slide, please. So this slide uh, illustrates San Francisco's geobond um, program. And so the, the city has a capital, um, a capital plan. And so right now, the city is in the process of updating that, um, the bond program within the capital plan. And so there's uh, key agencies that come together. They look at the city's needs, and they establish a preliminary bond program. The last time this um, capital plan was updated was uh, fall of 2020, and it's in the process of being updated now. Um, once this plan is updated, it goes to the Capital Planning Committee for approval. Um, there is a set of key departments, plus the president of the Board of Supervisors that sits on that committee, and they approve that plan. And then that plan moves to the Board of Supervisors, where they um, approve the final bond schedule and the capital plan for the city. And that is usually done in spring. The last time that was updated was in April of 2021. So once the city has kind of the bond program, the next step is getting a bond on the ballot. If we go to the next slide. So once departments have bonds approved in the capital plan, the department then works on really drafting the details of that bond. Um, so the department scopes the proposed bond, and then after the scope is there, it conducts polling. And the goal of the polling is really to see what the residents um, or voters' appetite is for this bond. It creates a report, brings that to the capital planning committee, and then the capital planning committee would recommend um, bonds for the board of supervisors for their approval. The board of supervisors reviews this. They're able to make um, any modifications. It's submitted to the director of elections, and then it can be put on the ballot. And then any bond measure needs to be approved by two-thirds of the voters. So it's a, it's a pretty long process. Um, if we go to the next slide, we can kind of see the types of geobonds that have been used in San Francisco. So typically around affordable housing, safety, transportation, public health. Um, and this is kind of the rotation that the city uses uh, for the upcoming bond schedule. So you can see right now there is no dedicated climate bond. Um, and I think there's also something to note. There's limits in the amount of debt the city can issue and, and bonds that it can have. So per the city charter, it can only go 3% in debt of its property tax. And also the um, Office of Resilience and Capital Planning has an internal policy not to raise property taxes above 2006 levels, which is about 1.2%. Um, and so you kind of see this rotation, and basically what happens is you know, we're basically just replacing existing bonds. Right now, without some changes and additional analysis, this would continue to be the bond schedule. Um, but I do want to note that I just came from the Board of Supervisors. They had a commission hearing, and a Supervisor Marr in introduced a resolution for the Capital Planning Committee to consider the geo bonds within this report, and it passed unanimously. And so that recommendation, the resolution, will go to the Capital Planning Committee. So I'm going to move on from geo bonds to the next recommendation, which is a parcel tax. 
And a parcel tax is a form of property tax that's assessed on the basic characteristics of a parcel. So it can either be a single family home, an acre, square footage, by unit. Um, and there's three ways a parcel tax can get put on the ballot. The mayor can introduce a motion. You can get four signatures of the Board of Supervisors. Or we can have what's called a citizen initiative, where you need to get 5% of the voters from the last mayoral election signatures to get it on the ballot. And within the Cleave report, the recommendation is for a parcel tax uh, assessed by square footage that would fund parks, green infrastructure, and tree canopy. And this would raise approximately 12 to $25 million. Um, and the nice thing about parcel taxes where geo bonds are somewhat limited to capital improvements, parcel tax can be used for however you specify that tax on the ballot. Um, it also needs to be approved by the voters by two-thirds. And one of the limitations of parcel tax is not necessarily vertically equitable because everyone has to pay the same. You can't do any gradations based on income. Next slide. And so the, the last near-term funding measure is a gross receipts tax. Um, and so a gross receipts tax is a tax on companies' gross sales without deducting its expenses and operating cost. So in about 2018, the city um, went away, did away with its payroll tax and switched to a gross receipts tax. It also has increased it for certain um, programs such as homelessness. And so the recommendation is to have a gross receipts tax that would generate between 25 to $50 million and to direct um, those funds to the Department of Environment to work on um, implementation of its climate plan and really focus on equity initiatives and workforce development. So I do want to note that Supervisor Chan did introduce a motion in July of this past year um, to impose an additional gross receipts tax on companies um, that exceed $25 million in revenue, and to, that is supposed to be on the ballot in November of 2023. So typically when we've been discussing these measures with stakeholders, um, the geo bond and the parcel tax are most favorable. They tend to be a little more neutral to the economy um, and from stakeholders' perspectives, wouldn't really impact um, the economic recovery. The gross receipts tax during a pending recession has not been um, seen very favorably. So next slide. So those are the near-term measures, so that's what we are focused on right now. But the report also does medium-term measures, which are um, funding mechanisms that we could implement over four to seven years. So I'm not gonna go into much detail, but I do wanna let you know it's a transportation geo bond um, between 300 to 500 million, parking pricing, so that could generate between 40 to 60 million, congestion pricing, which the city has embarked upon a study, but it would take many more years to complete that study and then get changes at the state legislator for the city to be able to implement that. And the last one is a carbon emission tax, which would generate anywhere from 20 to $120 million, depending on the price of carbon. Um, so this diverse mix of revenue sources uh, is really important. Um, and it, 
is an important kind of message to leaders that we need to be looking at all these revenue sources to implement our climate action plan. And then we also need to be looking at them from an equity perspective and the ability to pay and making sure that we are also reducing burdens on low-income San Franciscans. So I'm going to um, go to the last two parts of the report. So the report also gave recommendations on implementing actions for the plan and equity actions. So the implementing actions were uh, to increase city staff for cap implementation, uh, were to uh, design or implement a formal cross-department committee of city employees, to have more funds going to nonprofits for implementation of the climate action plan, and then also to establish a fund for uh, corporate and philanthropic partner giving that could be used to go directly to the community and for educational purposes. And if you go to the next slide, there was also a whole section on equity. Um, so the recommendations on equity were to create an equity oversight independent community council. We're making sure that the geo bonds have funds that go to directly to community scale projects. Um, making sure that all projects have funding to deliver the project, so that would be around workforce development and staffing. Making sure that we're working very closely with environmental justice communities. And also the last one is to make sure on any investment strategy that we require a racial equity assessment. If you can go to the next slide. And so, um, just kind of why this report is important. So as Tyrone said in the beginning of this presentation, you know, cities always develop climate action plans, but they're not always seen as core municipal services as we can see in our bond program. So I think this report and a lot of other actions are beginning to change that. Um, and why the city has used these fin financing and funding tools <coughs> for infrastructure and other operations, they've never used them for, for climate action. And so that's what's a little novel about these recommendations. Um, additionally, you know, having this report has been an opportunity to kind of break down barriers. You know, traditionally, our department hasn't been involved in municipal finance, and we've been able to have conversations with the Board of Supervisors um, and also members of the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning and the Controller's Office about this report and starting to take the funding that we need to implement the plan successfully. The other last um, aspect of this report that's really, in funding, that's really important is this, this roadmap will help us with the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, there's about $360 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act for various climate action activities, and having kind of this comprehensive revenue and investment strategy is really important to showing alignment to seek future funding. So our, our next steps, as I said in the beginning, is kind of to finish up our advisory groups to getting kind of feedback on the report. And then we're going to take this information and we're going to report back to the Board of Supervisors in, in January. And so with that, um, that concludes my presentation and I'm happy to take any questions. Questions? Or discussion? Uh, Commissioner Sullivan. Yeah, Cindy, um, where did the, the ad back funding typically comes on a supervisor by supervisor um, thing? Is that right? Were there particular supervisors that we should 
thank for creating the funding for this? So we have, the department has received uh, two rounds of ad backs. So the first one was in 2020 and then 2021. And so the first year it was Supervisor Marr, Supervisor Mandelman and Supervisor Haney, who is no longer here, that had allocated a million dollars to the department. And then last year, I think we saw um, Supervisor Melgar, Supervisor Ronan uh, also join with the other supervisors for the $2.6 million that we received this year. And we can talk about the, what the allocation looks like in the budget update for the $2.6 million. Glad later. that'll be in the minutes of this meeting. Thank you. Um, the question, the other question I had was the, so Supervisor Marr proposed um, going to a geo bond for climate, for climate action. Um, did he, and since, since the way these bonds work is usually, there's, there is this kind of cap that we can't increase property taxes. So that would mean bumping something off the list, right? Or, or pushing it back in terms of timing. Did he make any proposal as to what to, what it would come at the expense of? So he, um, Supervisor Moore unfortunately is leaving office. So it's gonna be up to um, other members of the Board of Supervisors that carry that forward. But there, there's three kind of options. Um, one is increasing property taxes. Um, you know, we could, that's an internal policy. There's nothing set in stone. So we could go to the voters saying we're gonna increase property taxes for this measure. Um, another one is I talked about that 3% cap. You know, right now we're way below that cap and that has helped the city be extremely financially prudent and have an excellent bond rating, but maybe some analysis on, you know, getting closer to that 3% cap um, is option. And the last one is swapping out an existing bond. Right, and you, you specifically mentioned affordable housing coming up. Was that, is that a, a possibility? As a, as, and, and affordable housing bonds, I think are relatively recent in the last kind of 10 years or so. They didn't exist before that. So that's, that's yeah. I think the affordable housing bond, the opportunity to add to it, is is also a really great option. And just to um, what the resolution that was introduced today by Supervisor Marr, it took the building decarbonization bond, the affordable housing bond, and the transportation bond, which was in the medium term measured, and said we should do one big bond. Um, and that's also, the CLE report noted that, and that was something that actually came out of the controller's office. Okay. Thank you. Yes, Vice President Stevenson. Yeah, um, thanks for the presentation, I appreciate it. Um, I'm thinking about, we had a public comment in the last item um, from somebody about how we have this you know, near-term goal that's you know, in 2023 we need to get we need to be working toward making sure that we're already past, you know, re reusables for people eating indoors or inside um, restaurants. And thinking about the climate action plan and the goals and the deadlines against each of the pieces of the plan, does this funding plan get us moving fast enough to be able to do the things that we need to do in the cap? It does, and I totally apologize. My iPad is hooked up to my phone and my son's calling, so I just gotta <laughs> turn it off because he's gonna just keep calling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super sorry. Okay, 
Yeah, so the, the, the goal of the report is making sure that we can implement the climate action plan. So it doesn't look at every single detail, but it looks at our, our biggest sources of emissions, so buildings and transportation, making sure we can tackle those areas. So I can't say it's 100%, but I can probably say about 90% of the actions it would cover. In the time frame that we want to cover them? Yeah. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. I'd also note that you know, this is kind of, again, the beginning steps, like even these, these near-term measures aren't enough, right? So even if you pass the geo bonds, you heard the figure of $20 billion right. to implement, mm -hmm. that's gonna come from a variety of different sources, right? There's home retrofits and requirements that will have to be passed, on, <coughs> like that will be passed along to the building owner. There will be grants and inflation reduction dollars that are gonna be coming into the city. So it's gonna be kind of a, a hodgepodge of just different funding sources, but we know that what we have now is not nearly enough to even get started uh, along the path. So this gives us a fighting chance to be able to get to our goal in the 2040 is probably the best way to frame it. Um, it doesn't assure us we're gonna get there because who knows what's gonna happen in five years or, or 10 years, but we're definitely not gonna be able to get there unless we have a significant infusion of resources uh, into the work. And do we have to, um come up with more ad backs in the meantime, because clearly these things aren't gonna hit the ballot for a while. Um, and you'll, you'll hear about that in the director's report for right. uh, what we're proposing for this coming year. Uh, and just like we did in this last budget cycle, again, we're adding to build the foundation we know is necessary. So the positions we're adding are key positions that will be needed for the long-term for implementation. So that hopefully if we are able to get a infusion of funding, we have the pieces in place already that can accelerate just the implementation of the work. Uh, just a few quick questions uh, on some of the timing. When the geo bond goes on the ballot, when would those funds become available? So that's a good question. So sometimes in my experience of working with um, the controller's office, it's almost a year and a couple months lag. So. If it goes on the ballot in November and passes, it's not January 1st of that year, it's January 1st of the following year. Um, and then uh, another clarifying question, because we passed the ballot measure to move to even year elections, will the 2023 election still happen or will we be putting things on the ballot for 2024? I believe so, but I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think it just moves certain elections uh, to the even number of years, but it doesn't mean that the election isn't gonna take place, is my understanding. So I know it moves the mayoral election, yeah, for, um, and, and but I don't. I think we still have opportunities to vote on yeah. other issues. It was, align, it, was, it was aligning certain uh, election for certain offices to the, to the even year, but it didn't change uh, the fact or eliminate an election that we would have in in the fall of 2023. I, oh, and then uh, just one more question then on the Green Bank Initiative. I know, very cool idea, by the way. Uh, the city, because of Supervisor Preston, is looking at a public bank. What's the coordination between that? Um, so LAFCO, which is the Local Government Formation Agency, has a reinvestment working group that's been working with a consultant to develop um, a, a public bank. And their priorities for the public bank are building decarbonization and, and climate issues, 
affordable housing and small businesses. So it aligns very nicely with um, our climate plan. And I, Tyrone and I are actually meeting with a consultant, I think believe this week or next week, to discuss the path forward. And, and the funding uh, for green banks and these public banks is identified in the Inflation Reduction Act. And so the seed funding to get these started is there. And so that's why there's such interest in seeing if we can harness that energy. Um, we did submit a letter to the uh, federal government as they're developing their plan. So a lot of the funding is like, it's earmarked for specific purposes, but the details of how it will be rolled out isn't clear. And so we've offered comments along with our partners in LAFCO um, on what we think might work best for San Francisco. So we're trying to get ourselves in position uh, for that opportunity. Amazing. Um, I will finally just say, this was a monster effort and watching this come to fruition you should be incredibly proud of the work that you put in here this is a great level of detail and i'm very excited to see the coming year where this goes thank you uh, yes commissioner Wong. i thank you for the presentation just a couple questions First, I'm a very number person, so I know there's a climate action plan. Is that like a budgetary timeline? Like initially, how much, how many millions we have to raise in order to really kick off? Or I know that you throw out number 21 billion, which is actually very conservative to actually achieve at the end of the day, right? But is that like a budgetary goal along with the implementation plan in the long run? That's a great question. So within the climate action plan, we have very rough estimates of magnitudes of each strategy. And really, till we move towards project planning and implementation, it's difficult to scope that out. I have been working with different city departments to see if we can get a more accurate depiction of the total cost. Um, it's a very challenging exercise, um, especially when a lot of these actions are far off or very conceptual. So I do agree with you that the 21 billion is um, very conservative, but I, I think it would be, you know, if we can get that, that would be amazing. And it's something that we need to continue to work on to get more accurate um, cost estimates. Yeah, I think as a voter, it will be good to know what is really the goal so that they know what they're voting on, right? The second part of the question is, will the state budget or like any like private philanthropists will play any role into this? Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about the federal um, budget. The state budget has about $54 billion for climate-related programs. Um, there is a big portion of that around building decarbonization, um, among many other programs. So I think between the state and the federal, and then you know people who are able to um, afford decarbonizing their home on their own, you know there will be private investment in this area too. So that will be part of the plan. Yep. And, and Commissioner Wan, to, to add, um, you'll be hearing kind of the proposal for the deputy director position, which, you know, we, we talked about bringing on a CFO during the audit process for the controller. Uh, in part, the focus for this position, as you'll hear about later, I, I think needs to be in this area as far as the resource forecasting to get to, you know, what do we need over the short term and midterm in terms of staffing, operational size, et cetera. Um, and we're not we're not quite there. So like if we're going to go forward with a bond measure to say, hey, we need twenty five million dollars, we're going to need to be able to spell out exactly where that twenty five million dollars will be programmed, how many staff will be hired, what timeline, and what other resources are needed to to make sure that we achieve the goals uh, that we've set out in that bond. 
a more uh, general thought I have is I, I really like the idea of uh, affordable housing geo bond uh, for several reasons, the scale of that money, like it's just a larger pot of money to work with, but also the way my mind jumps to, you know, it there's ways to perhaps mobilizing of different diverse communities across the city around climate change as an issue. So I, I think that's something we need to be strategically thoughtful about uh, when we discuss, you know, essentially raising more money. So people will want to automatically, uh, they will automatically ask why at the end of the day and what does this benefit me? I, I think just, just around the geo bond to make sure that it's clear, given the current taxation rate, there, there is not enough capacity even to meet the current demand of what's in the capital plan, right? So the city has a capital plan, the way that they're, uh, funding projects is they're replacing it as debt becomes freed up from the completion of a project. There's a long list of projects. Forget the, the climate action plan for a second, as you saw from Cindy's slide, it's already programmed out and we don't have enough resources even to meet the, the current capital needs for the city. So really the, the question that we're, we're posing and we're in the dialogue we have to have with the city partners and the city agencies is whether or not this uh, is the right time to consider lifting that cap because of all of the different needs. I mean, you're thinking the port waterfront project is, is not completely funded, let alone all of the transportation uh, bond measures, which are really important to our climate action plan goals. So all of these things are, are kind of coming to a head, but I think everyone's recognizing that what we have isn't sufficient if we want to hit all of these different goals, not just the climate action plan goal, but all of the goals uh, we have as a city across our different departments. Yes, Commissioner Sullivan. Uh, just one more question that occurred to me. So one question is whether we can get these bonds passed uh, or, the, or the revenue sources um, achieved. The other is what do we spend the money on? And the, um, the CLE report seems to focus on building electric electrification as opposed to other things, you know, transportation, for example. And so what do you think was the thinking behind that? Is that, is it that perceived to be the low-hanging fruit for the, if you're going to do something fast, you should do that as opposed to Something else? I think it's where the need is. You know, it'd be very difficult for low income and middle income families to decarbonize their house without assistance. And so I know that's an area we need to focus on. So I think it's the need. And also, you know, their goal was how do you fund the actions within the, the climate action plan? And that is one of our key actions. So I think the combination of that and also, you know, they had stakeholders that ranged from community based organizations city departments, technical experts. So based on the feedback from their stakeholders and then their own research is really how they came up with those recommendations. But when, when and if a bond is developed, all those details will have to be spelled out before we <coughs> move forward with the bond. And so that's really when the real work would begin. Thank you. Was there any kind of a plan B in the report? So let's say we don't no plan B. <laughs> <laughs> so if we can't, you know, if we can't come to consensus, lift the cap, or if we can't figure out how to get this bond passed, then it's just not there. The money's not there. Thanks. Well, <laughs> on that note, uh, if there's no other discussion, maybe public comment. Kyle, if there is any. 
We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comments concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. To be continued. Next item, please. The next item is item 10, presentation and vote on whether to adopt record retention policy for the department. The speaker is Deidre Tannenberg, public affairs assistant coordinator. Explanatory document is the record retention policy and schedule. This item is for discussion and possible action. Good evening, commissioners. As Kyle mentioned, my name is Deidre Tannenberg. I'm the Policy and Public Affairs Assistant Coordinator for the Department of the Environment. It's my pleasure to be in front of you this evening after being behind the scenes and behind the camera for the last two years. And now I come before you to, do, to present you with an update on the Department's Record Retention Policy. So in pursuit of Chapter 8 of the San Francisco Administrative Code, which requires every department to update their record retention as needed. After Katie Chancellor's departure last year from the Commission Affairs, I took on the task to complete the process of updating our department's record retention policy with language as advised by the city controller's office, the city attorney, and department staff. So I want to thank Kyle, Charles, Sarah, Sarah Crowley, and Mark Brown, and Anya Dupac for their guidance and helping me move forward with this process. Next slide. So why now? In 2012, the policy was last updated. However, the schedule did not include retention guidelines for contracts and grants until 2018. The current policy does also does not address email and storage of electronic records, as well as a few other items, which I will mention shortly. Next slide. In front of you, commissioners, you have two key components which is the policy and the schedule for record retention and destruction. Now, there are a few items that I will mention shortly, and hopefully you've had the time to review them. Next slide. Some key sections in the policy that I will include is records defined, the classification of records, as well as records relating to financial matters, relating to payroll, and with legal significance. Next slide. So it's new. Before I get into what's new, I have to thank the Office of Controller for providing us with a template to help us make sure that we're consistent with the language and with the format that they would like to have when we submit it to the index of records. The item that we have that's new, the there is new language in the policy and schedule that includes records relating to federal awards, which covers a city disaster and cost recovery is served as required by the Office of Controller as of 2020. The next item we have is email records. The email system does not fulfill the department's record retention obligation in any case, whether to satisfy retention obligation or administrative needs, 
the staff must not store email communication on the email system. An example of an email system is like an Outlook. And lastly, the department was the first to create a digital first policy. Thanks to the paper reduction committee, they, were, they advised us to create this policy so that all records could be stored digitally or electronically. Now, with the exception that no records can't be stored on any external drives, USB drives or anything, unless it's under category one in the permanent protection. Next slide, please. So we are in the process right now of collecting signatures from the Office of the Controller, which is responsible for records retaining to financial, the city attorney for legal significance, retirement board for payroll. So we'll get, get those signatures shortly. Next slide, please. So upon the commission's approval, the department will implement the provisions of this new policy. Material approval. Next slide. Before I take questions, I want to let you know of a small tweak. We heard from the Office of the Controllers that the following items need revision. Presuming you do move forward to adopt, we ask that you make a motion to amend the schedule with a change. The following items are listed on page three in the schedule under grants and contracts. It specifically calls out language in the record retention period column, line item reading, records of payments, grants, and agreements to state contract life plus seven years retention or the term required by the funding source. This retention period needs to be changed on the following line items contract agreement, contract agreement, MOU, grant correspondence, MOUs, and grants from two years to contract life plus seven years retention or the term required by the funding source. So we will now take questions. Thank you for your time to present. Are you able to, uh, by chance, show that page three so we just understand how to make the amendment? Yeah, so I am page three out of four against Charles Hatter. And uh, I'll try to show my fellow commissioners too the document we're all discussing. That's okay. also available on SF Commission Environments website as well. The page three in the schedule. Yeah. So it's, uh, as I understand, Deidre, just to confirm, it's lengthening the time, right, from two years to seven years? <coughs> yes. We, we need a motion in order to start the discussion, yeah. and does the motion have to be? Yep. Got it. Um, are, are you still figuring out how to display this on the? Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Excellent. So to get this done correctly, just making sure, uh, do you want the motion first just to consider this, or would you prefer it all in one go as the amended? Um, with the amendments proposed to this we document. We to Charles for advice. So uh, I'll channel our deputy city attorney that I know is on the line, so feel free, Sarah, to jump in whenever. Uh, I believe the commission will need to take a motion first uh, on the amendments and then take a vote on that and then take a, a motion uh, on the full, full item. Yeah, okay. I think that sounds right. Thanks, Ty. 
need that to kick the discussion off in any event. Right? Yeah, we need a motion on even the amendment. I move. Okay. When we're ready. Second. So we, we have a motion on the amended language from Commissioner Wald, and I heard a second from Commissioner Wan. Do I have to say what it is that we amend the schedule um, to extend the period for retaining uh, contracts and agreements from two years to seven? Yes. There are several other line items, too, underneath that, right? So just all, all everything all. that says two years here to seven? Including the, it is contract life plus seven years retention or the term required by the funding source is the exact language. And you can see that under records of payments of grants and agreements to copy the same for contracts agreement. The line and the next line is contract agreement, MOU, grant correspondence, and the next line is MOUs and grants. So, Commissioner Wald, if it makes it easier, you could uh, make the motion for the amendments as uh, mentioned by staff, and then we'll make the, amend the amendments that she's mentioned. Okay. Okay. So uh, I uh, propose an amendment that will reflect the changes that were proposed by staff and required by uh, the controller's office. A second. Mm -hmm. And a second from Commissioner Wan. So with that, uh, should we just take up a general motion to move this then? Uh, well, or do, do we need to go oh, to you'll, you'll need I to vote? I think we need to public call public the roll. And public okay. comment and all that. Oh, okay. Okay. One moment. We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comments concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public with us today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And we do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, it's David Pilpel. Um, sorry, I was in an, another meeting and I've had some technical uh, challenges tonight. I only heard the last uh, few minutes of the meeting. On this issue, the Department Records Retention and Destruction uh, Policy and Schedule. Um, Charter Section 4.118 calls it the Department of the en Environment. I was going to make this comment later, but I'll also say now I don't understand why it's referred to uh, throughout as the Environment Department. I'm not sure the Commission has the authority to uh, rename uh, the Department when it is spelled out in the Charter. Um, speaking of spelling things out, I would spell out the abbreviations and acronyms uh, in this document. In the first instance, um, I noticed, among other things, um, ADA, FSP, MOU, RFP, and RFQ. There may be others. Um, some are more obvious 
and others, um, in particular something like FSP, the financial system, is not at all um, obvious uh, to the lay reader. Um, I would have a separate section for financial records that are not uh, contract or uh, human resource uh, related. There are a number of those uh, that are uh, referenced um, in the section under general and administrative, um, but I, I don't view them as general or administrative. They, things like revolving funds and um, payables, other things like that seem very uh, finance uh, specific. Some of the other things about legislation and, and memoranda and such uh, do seem to me to be general and administrative. Um, there, either I'm missing it or nowhere in here is there anything specific about program and outreach. The department uh, is primarily about uh, program development, implementation, and outreach, and yet I see no um, uh, retention period for uh, records related to their work. That seems um, unusual uh, to me. Uh, the closest that I found is on the bottom of page two, files on specific environmental organizations slash issues to your retention period. So that suggests that everything that the, that the department has related to uh, zero waste or toxics, unless it's in the context of an agreement or some other um, contract issue, has no required retention period. Again, that seems um, unusual and unlikely to me. Um, I'm sure there will be further revisions to this in the future. I wanted to end by thanking uh, Deidre uh, Tannenberg and others for their work in updating the proposed policy and schedule. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, let's do roll call. President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. All right, so this amendment passes, and then I'll need a motion to consider this overall. Uh, do I have a motion? So moved. I'll have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan. And I Second. Well, I'll see a second from Vice President Stevenson, um, and then I believe we should take public comment on this item as well, or this motion. Seeing no members of the public in the room, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Great, call the roll please, Kyle. President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. Okay, so this motion passes. Thank you for your work, and next item, please. The next item is item 11, review and vote on whether to amend resolution file 2022-08-COE 
resolution requiring commission approval of Department of the Environment contracts and grants. The speaker is David Kashani, contracts and grants manager. Explanatory document is resolution file 2022-08-COE. Resolution directing the Department of the Environment to require commission approval of contracts and grants. This item is for discussion and possible action. Uh, commissioners, I'll, I'll introduce the item and be giving the presentation. Uh, so at your September 27th meeting, uh, you passed a policy and a resolution uh, putting basically increasing commission oversight over contracts and grants managed by the department, as well as contracts and uh, relationships with recology. Uh, we've identified an area uh, that needs amendment within the adopted policy that we think clarifies and cleans up language, which I'll walk through uh, in this very brief presentation. So if we can go to the next slide, please. Um, so this is basically the current language in the resolution. Uh, and the language actually creates a blind spot, uh, an intended blind spot in oversight over material increases as worded. Uh, and so previously, if the commission approved a contract for $2 million, as worded, we would not have to go back to the commission for approval if it was extended and increased to $4 million, which is not the intent of what we were trying to do uh, with the resolution. So we can go to the next slide. And so we'd like to, and we're proposing a amendment to the resolution that clarifies uh, and removes the criteria that an amendment needs approval only if the current contract amount is under 1 million and amend the resolution to remove the criteria that an amendment needs approval only if the current grant amount is under 100,000. So this pertains both to contracts and grants. So if we were to extend, uh, then basically we will have to bring it back to the commission as we had discussed in that meeting for approval prior to moving forward. And this clarifies that intent. Happy to answer any questions. And David Kashani is also uh, online as well. Question. Motion. I'll move approval. I have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan. And a second from Commissioner Wald. And seeing no further discussion, public comment, please, Kyle. Seeing no members of the public um, in the meeting room today, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And we do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller. You're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great. David Pilpel again. Um, so I asked a moment ago and did not uh, get a response. Charter section 4.118 calls it the Department in the Environment. Uh, once again, this uh, proposal refers to the department as the Environment Department, and I don't understand uh, that. Um, on, I have no objection to the substantive change uh, I have a concern about the form of the resolution. This simply has um, track changes to the resolution that was adopted by the commission in September. That is um, unusual given the way the city normally works. If there is 
a resolution that amends a prior resolution, then normally it would have uh, whereas clauses saying whereas the commission adopted a resolution back in September that did blah, 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 whereas, you know, there was some uh, change to the um, uh, practice or uh, change in the, the wording of the policy, therefore be it resolved that the commission hereby amends its policy in the following way, blah, 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 um, but doesn't actually, has the effect of revising the policy, but doesn't uh, in general, revise or rescind the prior resolution. It's not at all clear here since this is using the same uh, file number and resolution number if this would rescind, supersede, or, or what this does to the action in September. And I note that the resolution text still has the September date at the bottom of both pages and on the certification line at page two, lines 13 and 14. So the form of how this is being done just strikes me as odd. Those are my thoughts, and it would be nice if those could be addressed. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your comment. See no additional callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Please call the roll. President Ahn? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item 12, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2022-10-COE, resolution amending the provisions of the Commission on the Environment Bylaws concerning location, department name, and compensation. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. Explanatory documents are the San Francisco Commission on the Environment Bylaws and resolution file 2022-10-COE. This item is for discussion and possible action. So thank you, commissioners. What we are recommending tonight is making three technical changes to the commission's bylaws. First, the environment department has a new address. We have a new office. Um, our office also functions as the mailing address of the commission. We're recommending that we update that in the bylaws. Um, second, as acting director Jew detailed at the last previous um, uh, commission meeting, uh, the department is presenting itself to the public as the environment department going forward, even as the department's official name in the city charter is unchanged. <coughs> Accordingly, we propose updating the bylaws to reflect how people will be referring, we hope, to the department going forward. Uh, the first reference to the department in the bylaws is the department's formal name, uh, Department of the Environment. Subse subsequent references to the department in the bylaws uh, will be environment department. Um, that's what we're re recommending as our second change. Um, and third, we propose eliminating the requirement in the bylaws um, that prohibits compensation for commissioners based on how commissioners are set up in the city's employment system. Commissioners do currently receive a $25 per diem uh, for each commission meeting and committee meeting. So eliminating this requirement from the bylaws would remove this conflict. I'll pause now to see if there are any questions. No questions. I move we approve it. 
All right, so we have a motion from Vice President Stevenson, a second from Commissioner Hunter. Um, seeing no other discussion, we can move to public comment. And see no, see no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Just one moment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And we do have one caller in the queue, just one moment. Hello, caller, you you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, David Pilpel again. Um, first of all, I made comments on the last uh, two items and got uh, no response. I find that incredibly frustrating to take the time to download the materials, um, prepare comments, um, think about these issues, and to not get any response um, really is uh, frustrating. If you're um, trying to agitate me, then consider that mission accomplished, but I really don't appreciate it, and um, I don't think it speaks well for the commission in general and those of you um, sitting on the commission and serving the public. Um, as I said on the previous items, Charter Section 4.118 calls it the Department of the Environment. I just uh, heard some reference to uh, the Environment Department, but I, again, don't understand how that is accomplished here. The Department of Public Works has um, referred to itself in general in the last few years as Public Works, but that did not change its uh, legal uh, title as the Department of Public Works. It was simply a, a question of branding, uh, if you will, but um, there's been no change to their uh, bylaws, rules, or other uh, organizational documents uh, to reflect that. It's simply how they present themselves, um, similar to how the Public Utilities Commission um, occasionally refers to itself as water, power, and sewer, which um, Acting Director Jew is quite familiar with. Um, it seems unnecessary to me to have the office location in the bylaws, um, just as including Compensation, uh, I think, is not relevant, and I support removing uh, compensation from the bylaws. Compensation is set by the city uh, charter or other uh, provisions and need not be here. It seems unnecessary to me to have the office location in, in the bylaws. I would consider removing that section entirely. And finally, Board of Supervisors Ordinance 156-21, Board File 2108, Five six now codified at Administrative Code Section 67B.1H requires parental leave be in the bylaws or rules of order and requires each board and commission in the city to amend its bylaws or rules of order to so provide for parental leave. And I am surprised that in this uh, bylaws revision that that was not caught and amended as required by the city. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Uh, thank you. Before we call the roll, we appreciate your comments, Mr. Pilpel. Uh, just as a matter of policy, I think you're well aware of this. The Commission does not directly respond to public comment. And what I would urge you is perhaps contact staff offline. Uh, some of these are pro forma changes. Uh, some of your comments I do personally appreciate. So that said, please call the roll. President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Bald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. Uh, with that, the motion passes. Next item, please, Kyle. The next item is item 13, director's report. The speaker is Tyrone Chu, acting director. This item is for discussion. This item is also in two parts. Part A, presentation on budget preparations for fiscal year 2023 through 24. Part B, update on deputy director position. Thanks, Kyle. Um, so this report is gonna cover the period of September 1st, 2022 to October 31st. Um, as Kyle noted, we have two presentations, one on the budget and uh, one that I'm seeking feedback, general feedback regarding the uh, deputy director position as we previously discussed uh, earlier in the meeting. Uh, before we start with the presentations, I did wanna highlight a few things that were accomplished over the past few months. You'll find a lot more detail within the written reports. One thing I did want to highlight uh, is that in the policy committee meeting on November 14th, there was a presentation about our emissions inventory, um, which was a great presentation. Uh, upon deeper analysis, our climate team has found that there are some areas that need some additional attention. So we're not formally publishing those emission uh, results until we can get uh, to the bottom of specifically our transportation emissions. Um, and so right now they've been working with the uh, CTA to look at their modeling for how they calculate uh, emissions from the transportation sector. And they're looking at potentially using a new tool to calculate emissions. And if the policy committee will remember, we saw an increase in emissions on the transportation sector in the presentation that was shown at the committee, um, which actually didn't align with what we saw in other cities that had similar policies like San Francisco that shut down during the pandemic. And so, upon closer inspection and review of the data, uh, that's where we're working with CTA to uh, figure out exactly a new methodology on how we get to a, a more accurate emissions number on the transportation sector. And we'll be happy to present that back uh, at a later date. Uh, I wanna note to the commission that uh, it'll be happening in between commission meetings, but we'll be launching our climate action plan marketing campaign at the end of January, beginning of February. Uh, we also uh, introduced Chapter 7 uh, Municipal Building Code update at the Board of Supervisors today, and this would basically require time of replacement for gas uh, uh, equipment within buildings and require them to be electric uh, <coughs> on replacement. Uh, we completed and are in the process of completing our grant awarding, and so we released $2 million in grant funding for community climate work. And submissions were due November 21st. We had submissions in every single category that we uh, wanted and a bunch of categories are oversubscribed. So there was overwhelming interest in the grants that we were uh, putting forward. So right now we're working through the panel scoring process to bring that back to the commission in March. Uh, some other things to highlight, uh, we did, and I mentioned this at the policy committee meeting, uh, we did get approval for an accept and expend from the Board of Supervisors for the California Energy Commission grant of $2.4 million. 
that will fund EV charging stations in the Baby Hunters Point and a uh, innovative pilot project for e-bike delivery for food uh, for food service workers uh, within the city. Uh, right now, we are coordinating with the partners that were identified in the grant application, EVGo and Grid Alternatives, uh, to disperse funding to them uh, to move forward with that project. Uh, and as you heard from the number of new hires we had over the last couple months, we continue to make progress on hiring more people than we're losing. Uh, so we're making progress there. Uh, we have a, a pretty big wave of new employees starting in the beginning of the year. So we're continuing to shrink the uh, number of employees and vacancies we have within the department. So it's a positive sign. And with that, I'll move it along to our budget presentation. And I think Cindy's gonna come up and give that uh, presentation. So budget season's right around the corner. We're gonna give a, a preview of uh, what we're proposing as far as this year's request that we would like submitted within the, uh, to submit within the mayor's budget um, proposal. Uh, we heard from the long-term funding around CLE. There is not enough money to really, you know, fund the climate action plan. I think everyone acknowledges that. Uh, what we are putting forward are kind of different scenarios that we would like to present to the commission about what we need to continue what we received from what we received at the last ADVAC to what we would propose additionally for this year to include within our budget proposal. This will come back to the commission at the operations committee meeting in January and then to the full commission in February for budget adoption. But we wanted to give an earlier preview to get some feedback from the commissioners. Cindy? Uh, good evening, commissioners. Again, Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. So another exciting budget presentation this evening. So I'm gonna give you an update on our development for our fiscal um, budget for, for next fiscal year. And just, this is really a work in progress. And the final budget presentation will be presented at the Operations Committee next year and then at the, the full commission February 6th. So next slide. So this slide shows the agenda for the presentation. I'm gonna give a very quick update on how we're expending our ad back for this fiscal year. I'm gonna then move to our budget priorities, talk about a little bit about details, the budget timeline, and then open it up for discussion. Next slide. So as I said in my previous presentation, uh, we received $2.6 million in ad back funding from the Board of Supervisors. And this slide just shows an update on um, our progress on um, expending that funding. So for positions, um, we had gotten seven new positions in, sorry, excuse me, eight new positions um, through that ad back. We have four of those positions filled, three are in progress, um, and one is not started. And the one that has not started is really dependent on filling uh, a position first before we move forward with it. Uh, we have many, many professional service contracts. So just to let you know, two of those have been completed, nine are in progress, and seven have not started and they're slated to start early next year. We talked about, um, in the director's report, we talked about the grants, so big accomplishment was the $2 million in grant funding announced, and then we also heard many notable accomplishments um, in the director's report, so I won't repeat those. So next slide. So now I'm gonna kinda jump into the development of our fiscal 23-24 budget, and just to reiterate, we're really at the beginning of this work, um, and certain aspects can change as we go through the process. So this slide shows our budget priorities. So our, our first priority is to make sure 
we retain all of our existing positions and that we can deliver on our key commitments. Um, the second is new requests to continue the implementation of our climate action plan. And last but not least is um, ordinance implementation. And this specifically refers to the gas lawn equipment ordinance. So next I'm gonna go through each priority in a little more detail. So the first one around retaining existing staff and services and key commitments. So this is our most critical priority to make certain that we keep all of our existing positions. So the existing positions are the positions um, that we added through the add back funding or are in process of adding. And then we have also um, have gotten news which was presented at the policy commission uh, last month that a contract we had with PG&E around our energy access program, they have an intent to end that. So we wanna make sure that we get funding to retain those positions and also the professional services that were allocated in the ad back. Additionally, we had two really important key commitments that we want to make sure that we can continue to fund for our next fiscal year. So one is the climate equity hub. Um, we have worked with a consultant to develop um, a design of the hub and also a budget. So that would be augmented for our next fiscal year. Uh, originally, we see, received $300,000 and we will be asking for about $900,000 for next fiscal year. And so all of the professional service dollars um, are to include doing marketing, education, outreach, and technical studies to support implementation of our climate action plan. And so the total is about $2.4 million in personnel and about $2.6 million for the grants and the professional services. Next slide. Um, so the next priority is funding to continue implementation of our climate action plan, which will require a couple of new positions and also new resources. Um, to highlight a couple of the new positions, we would like to hire a commercial building decarbonization coordinator. Um, last cycle, we hired a residential um, building decarbonization coordinator. We're also hiring someone to kind of manage that team and to kind of round out all the responsibilities we have in that sector. We'd like to hire someone to focus on the commercial sector. Um, we're also looking to increase staff around healthy ecosystems. So that would um, increase a part-time staff to full-time staff. Uh, and then there's um, other professional services that would continue to support implementation of our climate action plan. And just kind of to mention, a couple other of the positions are to augment outreach. So we would have more multilingual staff around the climate action plan and to have more policy support around our, our climate policies. And um, the, the last section I wanna talk about is the ordinance to implement the gas lawn equipment. So this ordinance was passed and it um, bans uh, gas powered landscaping equipment and it creates a buyback program and it also helps landscapers make the transition from gas to electric equipment. And so the, the ban goes into effect July 1st of 2024 um, for the city agencies and their contractors and for commercial landscapers, it goes into effect in January 1st of 2026. And so funding for this would cover staffing to build a program. Um, it would cover grants, community-based organizations, and do extensive outreach um, and marketing about the band. 
in subsequent years, we'll need to continue to increase that budget to make sure that we're able to have a comprehensive buyback program and, offer, and also offer incentives um, to, for individuals to make the switch. So next slide. So the total budget request comes to $7.6 million. And this slide shows the allocation of the three priorities. Um, so the largest priority would be to retain existing staff and key services would be $5 million. Um, ordinance implementation would be $1.7 million. We expect that to increase to $3.3 million in fiscal year 24, 25, and then um, a little less than a million dollars for new requests for climate action. So next slide. So if we remove the gas lawn equipment um, and just focus on the climate action, the request is about $5.6 million. And this slide shows the, the buckets that we used in our last budget cycle to categorize our request. And so we're gonna use the same ones this year because they were successful somewhat last year and the public is familiar with them. So next I'll just quickly review each bucket in a little more detail. Uh, so this slide shows the detail for all the different categories. So we have the, what the increase would be for fiscal 23, 24, and also for fiscal year 24, 25. So for, in order to eliminate fossil fuels in every um, building, retaining key staff, increasing funding for the Climate Equity Hub, commercial decarbonization coordinator, and also we're gonna ask for some specialized software for our existing building ordinance that would help with commercial implementation um, down the road. For increasing inclusive engagement, outreach and implementation, again, retaining existing staff and services, and also outreach for multilingual um, community engagement and implementation. To capture carbon through healthy ecosystems, important to um, retain our existing staff, and increase urban forest staff and also increase training funds for the staff that currently doesn't have any. And if we go to the next slide. So for eliminating fossil fuels in the transportation sector, the key is just retaining the services and positions we have. Um, if we go to looking at delivering equity-centered solutions, uh, environmental solutions, um, we wanna make sure that we can continue our environmental justice grants program, keep our staff and last but not least, you know, we're gonna need to continue to scale that our administrative and policy support. Um, and so we'll have, we're asking for some dedicated policy staff for climate action, training funds, and to keep our existing positions. And so the last slide shows the timeline for the budget. Um, so we're here today, December 6th, um, just providing an update on the budget request. Um, in mid-December, um, the budget, the mayor's office releases the budget instructions that could potentially change the path of this request. Um, in January, we'll present the draft budget to the operations committee. And then in February, we'll have the presentation to the, the full commission. Um, after we do the presentation to the full commission, we need to submit in our balanced budget by February 21st. Um, and then, in the spring, there's uh, the mayor reviews the budget and also the board of supervisors analysts. So there's a couple of months of review. Um, the department has its budget hearing in May, 
and then the Board of Supervisors adopts the final budget July 31st. So that's a very quick overview on our budget development and I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, yes, Vice President. I know that we'll have lots more time to talk about all these things in detail, but I just, um, if, if magic fell from the sky and somehow we got $12 million, are we equipped to be able to handle more? Like, could we ask for more or is this the right amount for capacity planning right now? I think this is the right amount for the way the department is currently set up. I think we're gonna have to um, expand the administrative support. I think Tyrone will talk about that with the uh, deputy director request. Um, so I think we need to slowly scale up so we can handle the money responsibly and make sure that we're showing success for what we have. Thanks. Oh yes, Commissioner Hunter. Uh, just along those same lines, in the earlier presentation, the report outlined so many grants uh, that would possibly become available. And as oh, Acting Director <laughs> Tyra mentioned, the federal government is still figuring that out. Hypothetically, they figure it out for not um, the coming year, but the following year, we would have needed to ask for additional staffing this go around if I'm doing my math correctly. Is there an expectation that they might figure it out in two years from now and therefore we should ask for staffing allocation now? So I'm gonna give, I'll give the first part and then you can give this. So I think that the federal government is actively seeking requests for information on those programs. Um, of January of this year, the, the tax incentives and the rebates will start, but as you said, the program development will take some more time but I do think that will be coming down either um, later next year or the following year. So it is important that we're able to set up a system to acquire that funding. Yeah, and, and that's definitely been the approach for the staff that we have brought on through the ADVAC, right? So the, the risk of, of hiring through the ADVAC as we discussed uh, earlier in the year is that it's not a sustained source of funding, right? We have to go back and get this money if we're gonna keep the staff on for long-term but each of those positions is tied directly to what we're gonna to need to get for the, go for the grants. And so it already took us roughly four to five months just to hire for these positions in these temporary exempt positions, which you know is a long time. If we wait until the grants, to your point, if we wait until the grants come out and then we start trying to hire to try to get, we'll miss all the grant windows. And so we're in a good place now. We think with the additional uh, support on the commercial side, we kind of have all the different sectors covered. Um, we're definitely going to need to desperately hire for a, a new Sean uh, to make sure that we're on top of kind of all the, the grants that are coming out. But I think we'll have all the pieces. And as Cindy mentioned, we, ha we have to grow responsibly. It's easy to say, you know, hey, let's just like get as much money as we can, but that we lose, we lose credibility there in, in, for the short-term gain and we miss the, the long-term plan of where we need to be by 2040. And so it's really important we take these steps kind of carefully, methodically. We ask for what we think we're gonna need be able to support currently with the current infrastructure. And then we have to build out that plan. Uh, and so we'll get to that in the next presentation just around the deputy director position and uh, the commission's thinking and whether or not they support kind of where that position may transition uh, with the new hire. But I think that's all kind of steps in, in that direction and we're not quite there yet. Uh, right now of a solid game plan to say, yes, we're adequately staffed right now with the right number of people. 
we think we have a general sense that we're not staffed well enough, but we got the sectors covered where these grants are gonna become available so that we can take advantage of the opportunity and bring it into San Francisco. And then just a related follow-up question. I realize that the add back program always leaves this slight sense of ambiguity in the sense that it's possible that we do not get add back of funds. Is there any discussion on becoming part of the proposed budget instead of having to go the route of supervisors? Um, and th that's gonna be our plan for this year. And so the proposal you have in front of you is what we wanna work through the operations committee and submit as the department's proposal. The mayor's uh, inst budget instructions will come out uh, at the end of next week. You know, it's, it's, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that, you know, it's not gonna say the city is in great economic times and, you know, please hire as many people as you want. It will likely be to the contrary. So I think these are discussions we have to have because we're in a, we're in a slightly different position than a lot of other departments where they have scaled, right? They have these, these, these operations. We're, we're actually trying to build the team to implement the plan that the city wants. And so we're in a, in a slightly different uh, frame of mind. And I think that's what we're gonna go forward with. Like we, we have to, right? Either that or we accept that we're not going to commit to this goal and we're not gonna move forward. And I think it's as simple as that at this point. Thanks for the clarification. I have a follow-up question on, on that, where that was going, which is, Cindy, is our exposure to the general fund limited to the add back money at no. this point? No. So ho the hope is we submit a balanced budget that includes the general fund request in advance, so we don't have to scramble at the end of the budget season and um, you know get a lot of stakeholder support to get it passed. Got it. And can you remind me how much general fund dollars are there as, as, a, as it relates to the entire budget? So the um, total amount where we would ask for is 7.6 million, and um, that includes the gas lawn equipment ordinance implementation. 7.6 million is, is the total budget? No, I'm sorry, oh, no, 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 no. The total budget request. Um, General fund request, got yeah, it. That's yes, yes. And I don't, I. Yeah, our, our, our total department budget is around 27 million. Um, Got it. And that also gives yeah. you the sense of scale, right? Yeah. So when we ask for resources, we're essentially like even $2.6 million from last budget cycle. I mean, that's a 10% increase in our budget, right? And so we have to be able to account for that in, within our systems and processes. And so if you ask for, now you're asking for an even larger amount, you know, we have to be able to scale that uh, based on our existing resources and staffing. In the, in the past, the bad news is we haven't gotten a lot of general fund money, but we also weren't exposed to reductions in general fund instructions as much. So going yeah. forward, we'll, we'll, have the, we'll have that risk with all the other departments. And, and we'll see this manifest not only in, in our request of general fund dollars, but also in the work orders also that we receive from other departments, right? So as departments are all forced to you know, trim back a little, one of the first places uh, departments may look are the work orders being sent outside of their department to other city departments. Thank you. Any other questions, points of discussion? Great, thank could you. I, could oh. I just say that I thought this was a really excellent uh, presentation and to both of you, I'm very grateful for the emphasis that you are putting on implementation and the 
clarity with which you are making sure that we understand what you're doing with all this money. So uh, that is a significant um, difference. Well, we never had this much money before. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it, it is, I think, a, an action of significant importance and not just to us as commission members, but also to all of our constituencies, as well as um, people like the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, Commissioner. All I can say is uh, buckle your seatbelt because it's going to be a, a very long uh, budget process uh, for us all, and it's going to be an uphill uh, battle. Uh, just a quick follow-up question, if I may. Yes. Um, because it's actually very important for the Mayor and also the Board of Supervisors to heard about this update, right? Has that been done? Uh, we have started briefing the mayor's budget office. So we, we met with them um, a few weeks ago to give them a preview of exactly what we're presenting to you today. So we don't want any surprises. Uh, almost immediately after we had our ad back, uh, we did the calculation of like, okay, we have the ad back. We're going to bring on these number of positions. We started talking to the board and saying, just so you know, this is, this ends at the end of the fiscal year. If we want to continue it, here's what the amount is just for the staffing. So we started there not knowing what other commitments we might want to layer in on top of it. And it's only recently with the mayor's budget office and with other partners have we started to say, this is what our new ask would be on top of what we uh, need in, ter in terms of saving staffing. Could I, could I just ask a clarifying question about the uh, new hires under the ADVAC? Do you have to have a wholly new search process if these people are made permanent or can you just move them over so so typically you would have to go through a, a new recruitment process uh, and new hiring process to convert them to per, to convert the positions to permanent so these are all three-year uh, category 18 temporary exempt positions the city uh, because we've been challenged with hiring uh, has made kind of through the emergency powers certain expedited ways of transferring and converting temporary positions into permanent ones. We have taken advantage of that for the classifications that we have within the department uh, where we have stable funding for. Mm -hmm. We're taking advantage of that pathway. I don't know if that pathway will exist, you know, later on. And so I think that's a question we'll have to broach. It, you kind of go into like it's not stable so that the only pathway to hire right now would have been uh, for, for this project-based position of a temporary three-year basis. That's all. That's the only avenue we had available to bring on the positions. The only way you can get a permanent position is if, uh, if we get this included within the budget, then it becomes basically a, a part of the department's budget annually. And then uh, we can look at permanent hires uh, with a new position request, associated position request. Thank you. I believe you also have an update on the deputy director as well. Yes, uh, thank we you. can. Thank you, Cindy. We can jump to the presentation. Um, so there are two executive level positions uh, within the department. There's uh, this position, the director position, and then there's a deputy director position, which was uh, occupied by Jennifer Cass before. Uh, with Jennifer Cass uh, retiring and leaving the city, um, we want to move forward with the hiring, or I want to move forward with the hiring for it, because everyone that 
reported to her is now reporting to me. Uh, so I have, I think by my calculation, almost a quarter of the department reporting directly to me at the moment, just because of all the vacancies and, and acting positions we have. What I wanted to share with the commission and get feedback on was how I've been thinking about the position and how I'd like to proceed with the posting of the job. <coughs> Given that I'm in an acting role now, you're in your process of hiring a permanent director, making sure that the match is there for whatever you're planning for the, direct, the permanent director position is really important so that we don't miss this opportunity that we put the wrong person with the wrong skill set in that position and then that obviously would influence your, your hire for the permanent director job. So with that, we can bring up the slides. Uh, so this is just a discussion only. There is no action required. Uh, next slide. This is a high-level organization chart of what the how the department was structured uh, previously. And so, again, you had the director position, deputy director reporting, and reporting to the deputy director, you had administration and, and fiscal, and you had uh, the energy and clean transportation team. Next slide. So in the next slide, it drills down into the admin and fiscal, uh, how it was previously organized. Uh, you had our budget manager, Joe Salem, and then uh, our contracts and grants coordinator, David Kashani, who you've met, and Mark Brown, um, our, who managed our fiscal side. And you can see the reporting was, in my mind, this is one of the first things I noticed, was, was a little lopsided as far as how everything was organizationally structured. Uh, so we can go to the next slide. Uh, this gets to where we're going now. So uh, I've moved over clean transportation of which we're making a hire now back under with all the other programs reporting to the director. So from a policy standpoint, it makes a lot more sense to kind of collapse that and having uh, the deputy director position, which is vacant, focus on, on admin and fiscal responsibilities. Next slide. Uh, I started making some changes uh, in review of classifications, workload, uh, and reporting responsibilities to basically uh, even out the reporting structure and make it, a, make it more equitable uh, for the employees that are there based on their workload in comparison to other city departments and the reporting structure itself. So you have uh, David Kashani, who is, who's gonna be now supervising uh, one of the senior account clerks moving over from Mark Brown uh, Bianca, who you met today, is one of the new employees that was uh, funded through the ADBAC, so to provide that additional contracts and grants uh, support. Uh, Joseph Salem is uh, sliding over to just his role as a budget manager, and, and we will have IT reporting to him. And Mark uh, will supervise mostly the same people, but at a reduced number, uh, which is much more manageable and, and reasonable. And also uh, reporting to the deputy director uh, would be the analyst assigned to us from the Department of Human Resources. Next slide. So as we're focused on the, or I'm focused on the job description, uh, I'm looking at kind of certain key qualifications that I think would be most helpful for this deputy director position to complement uh, who you would bring on as a permanent director. One, we do want someone uh, with strong financial expertise that actually has experience uh, doing budgeting and specifically strategic planning and resource forecasting. It's a very coveted skill right now in, in the job market, to be, to be honest. 
you see a lot of movement in between CFOs between city departments at the moment where larger, larger departments are kind of pulling from other depart smaller departments because the strategic and resource forecasting is so paramount. Like if you wanna succeed as an agency and figure out where you need to go over the next couple years and further, you have to have a strong resource uh, and budget plan associated with that. And then finally, of course, uh, someone with strong management and leadership skills. So the big takeaway is uh, where, where Jennifer was, was also focused on the policy side and, and advising on a range of issues in addition to the admin and, and budget side, it kind of spread her out into a number of different areas. And so what I'd like to do is to focus the hiring for this position to ensure we can recruit the right person because I think if we go too broad, this is what happens if you go too broad with positions saying, we want every single skill set, you tend to kind of, you don't attract the right candidates, right? Because you're not sure what you're applying for and you may not have skill sets in every single area. And so putting the emphasis on kind of these three uh, qualifications, I think would be the right direction um, but I'm happy to hear commission guidance and feedback on that before proceeding. Um, but I would like to proceed uh, with posting this job uh, based on feedback we get from today's meeting. And with that, I'll take any questions or comments. Um, can you go back to that last slide, Kyle? Do you mind? If you look at the job, as acting director and you think about the job of the director and then you think of the deputy director in the way that you've positioned it here, does it take enough off the plate of the director to make that job manageable? Because when I look at all those reports and all of that deliverable as we're implementing a cap, that feels like a lot. Um, it is. So so if I, if maybe to answer your earlier question, if I had $12 million fall into my lap and say <laughs> like, what do you want to do with the organization? there would definitely have to be additional layers of organization just based on the current reporting uh, requirements. And so you would probably have another another deputy in, in place. And in fact, that was actually what we were proposing when, we, when I first uh, came to the commission, when I first started, was actually requesting a CFO position in addition to the deputy director with Jennifer's uh, currently occupying that position. That would probably be the ideal, uh, at least in the interim, you probably need to scale further based on this, the growth of the organization. If we start to get additional sources of money, additional revenue, then that structure starts to build out. But I think in terms of priority, this seems to me, the pri like we don't get there unless we have the resource planning and the budgeting and the accountability uh, like first and foremost in the department's mind because that accountability is gonna be crucial to to getting everyone to believe that, yes, I trust the department with these additional resources so that you can implement the mission. So it's all about just with the positions I have and have available to us, what do, I'm, well, what do we wanna prioritize now uh, knowing that it's not the end of the story? So if it, is it fair to say that if we were in a world of stasis where we weren't trying to grow, right, that we might think about this position differently, that this this is considered to be a part of a team that we expect to be broader, of second level, second tier management, let's say, that we expect to start growing over time. And that if we're gonna, I mean, if we're gonna do the climate action plan, we've gotta do that anyway. So you would think about this specific to the idea that we're gonna be growing in the next two years plus. That's correct. And, and what's key to that growth? Okay, that's helpful, thanks. Yes, Commissioner. Um, I would start out by saying I wouldn't 
I'm supportive of your suggestion as to how to structure it. I wouldn't second guess, you know, a, a director on that on that kind of thing. But I wanted to ask about the timing of this hire um, as it relates to the timing of the search that's going on now for the for the permanent director. And you you mentioned those two kind of side by side, and I thought where you were going with that was that you wanted to be sure that the the permanent director was part of the hiring process with with respect to this one. But maybe that wasn't where you're going. I just wanted to hear you talk about the timing of these two hires. Yeah, I mean, so, so that is uh, one option is to keep things status quo until the new permanent hire. And so this is why I'm actually bringing it forward uh, because this commission will make the decision of, you know, who the permanent will be to forward to the mayor. So if the, if the commission says, yes, this, this actually makes sense, then you're going to be hiring the next director and like it'll be in place with that in mind. If you say, you're not sure, like maybe we want to kind of redo the entire org and maybe we want to wait until the new director is on board. We'll keep things status quo until that hiring process uh, is complete, uh, which is, I don't know how long it's going to take. Uh, but again, like I said, I have a quarter of the department reporting to me at the moment, uh, including every single direct report to the deputy director is now reporting to me right now. And so I'm managing all of that work. It is not a good practice just organizationally to, to have that in place. So it, it comes down to just making sure there's alignment. Um, and, you know, staffing decisions are, as you mentioned, Commissioner, are up to the discretion of the director. But I think just given where you are in the timing of the hiring for that position, just making sure that this seems to be in general alignment. If it doesn't, then, you know, we have to go back to the drawing board or, or delay the, the hiring. Um. Yes, please. So uh, I feel like for the rest of my time thinking about climate, which is probably the rest of my life, <laughs> I feel like my job is always going to be like, are we moving fast enough? And that, that's just what I'm going to say all the time. So I think that I would like to just state that I'm strongly in support of not waiting to hire this person as much as I really believe that people should get to hire their, their own teams. I don't think I mean, we're just not in a position where we have time to wait on things. And I feel really strongly that we should move all balls forward in tandem as we go forward. I agree too. I just uh, right. think with the budget also underway, uh, future budget discussions underway, like locking this position in seems to be very important, so. <coughs> it's not only a matter of time to wait or time to waste uh, in terms of climate, but I mean, we don't want this job to destroy you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't come anywhere close. Any other questions or observations, concerns for Acting Director Ju? Um, if not, let's move to public comment then, Kyle. Seeing no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. We do have one caller in the queue. Hello caller, you are unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, David Philpel again. 
Uh, is this the opportunity to, put, to comment on all of item 13, uh, the entire director's report, including items A and sub-items A and B? Yes. Great. Okay. So I'm not getting into a back and forth here, but there's nothing in the Brown Act or the Sunshine Ordinance that prohibits a brief response to uh, public comments. It, uh, it is encouraged uh, to not get into uh, extensive dialogue, but um, a brief response to public comments is not prohibited anywhere. Um, and it has been difficult for me to reach uh, department staff by phone. Not all of them are in the office. In some cases, uh, numbers go straight to voicemail, and I don't use email. So uh, it's been difficult to reach department staff, um, as uh, Commission President On advised me earlier. Um, it is difficult to discuss organization structure without referring to incumbents in um, those positions, so I will avoid that uh, today. I have said before, and I continue to believe, that there are too many 5644 program manager uh, positions in the department, whether filled or vacant. Um, I would cluster some staff into larger uh, programs and redirect some of that uh, 5644 funding into 5642, 40, and 38 uh, positions to accomplish more work with fewer uh, program managers. That's been uh, my belief for several years now. I support focusing the deputy director on finance and administration right now, given the uh, challenges that the department has and uh, the need to strengthen uh, that area. I recognize that that might uh, change in the future, but um, I think we're a ways from that need uh, changing, and so I, I support uh, the notion of having a deputy director focused on finance and administration. And finally, um, I think the existing base funding from the impound account to support uh, zero waste, toxics, and outreach, and some administration and other uh, functions, which has been kind of the core of department uh, funding for mm, since the department's inception, uh, will likely be reevaluated with the new refuse uh, rate setting process that was authorized uh, by the voters uh, in June and is being set up by the uh, controller's office. So I think the idea that everything is um, copacetic in terms of uh, impound account and there's nothing to worry about there um, might be upended in the next year. And I would um, have some contingency planning around that issue. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comment. And saying this is an information item only, uh, just next item, please call. Thank you, President On. The next item is item 14, committee reports. This item is for discussion. Great. Commissioner Sullivan, a uh, report of the policy committee, please. Sure. Um, the pol policy committee last met on November 14th. The committee heard three presentations, including an update on the city's greenhouse gas inventory from Cindy and Stephanie Lee, an update on uh, all electric new construction ordinance implementation and review of Department of Building Inspection report on exceptions to building code section 106A.1.17, it's a mouthful, from Barry Hooper, um, a presentation on the Energy Access SF program from uh, Cara Batista Rao, 
We also discussed the possibility of the Commission drafting a letter to PG&E to advocate for continued funding for the Energy Access SF program, which we heard earlier tonight is being discontinued, perhaps an item for a future Commission meeting. At our prior meeting on October 3rd, the Commission heard two presentations, uh, including an update on uh, the constru construction and demolition ordinance implementation from James Slattery, uh, and an update on the Fix Lead SF program from Ryan Ramos and Karen Yu of the Department of Public Health. The meeting scheduled for December 12th has been canceled, and the next meeting will be held on Monday, February 13th, uh, 2023 at 5 o'clock p.m. Thank you, Commissioner Sullivan. Uh, Commissioner Wan, uh, operations? Sure. The operations committee last met on October 19th, and we have two presentations, including Mission Go Outreach Program, as well as on equity and zero waste in affordable housing. And our next operations committee meeting will be held on Monday, January 9th, 2023 at 5 p.m. Thank you, Commissioner Wan. And I have to deliver the search committee report. Uh, so search committee last met on November 21st, and we heard a presentation from CPS HR Consulting on the proposed Environment Department Dir Executive Director recruitment process. And then there were two additional things that we considered where the committee offered feedback on the draft brochure and voted to move forward with the search effort. And finally, we anticipate a meeting toward the end of January to review the search firm's recommendations on top candidates and approve the shortlist for review. With that said, uh, maybe we should, is there any discussion first of all amongst commissioners on the committee reports? Seeing none, maybe we should move to public comment then, Kyle. And seeing no members of the public in the room with us, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. The next item is item 15, new business future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion. Good evening, commissioners. Um, just a reminder, because it's at the end of the year and we often have these at the end of the year, the harassment prevention training is due, I believe, for all the commissioners. So if you haven't already done so, please complete it. Thank you. Um, moving on to future business uh, and new agenda items, um, the December 12th policy meeting has been canceled. Um, the next operation committee meeting is January 9th, and then the next commission meeting is February 6th. Um, at that commission meeting, we already do have some potential agenda items. The first will obviously be our department's budget. Um, the second will be the annual report. Um, we also usually do commission elections at that initial meeting, and there'll probably be a few other things that pop up between now and then. So we are already getting set up for next year's commission meeting. Let me know if you have any questions. Thank you, Charles. Any questions? All right. Seeing none, let's move to public comment then. <coughs> and seeing no members of the public in the room with us, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. 
And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Next item. The next item is item 16, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 8.17 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good night. A lot in three, that wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh... <laughs>